listening to The RC, your guide to digital cinema, filmmaking, and cutting-edge imaging. Hi, and welcome to this week's RC podcast, episode 100. Yes, we've hit the century. Uh, joined uh, remotely, well, I guess I'm remote, I guess, but Jason, how are you? <laughs> I'm very good, transatlantically, or whatever. Transpacifically. between us. Transpacifically. <laughs> I knew you'd correct me on that. Spooky. So, um, yeah, so we we have uh, doing a special RC for a couple of reasons. Firstly, it's our 100th, which we're really uh, pleased about. And secondly, because bit of news this week, Jace. Yeah, spooky timing that, you know, 100th and all these releases. You know, who, who'd have thought it's like it was planned? It was it was very kind of canon and, and read to go along with our plan, and we appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, um, very nice of them. Uh, so, look, we know you guys are really interested in the coverage on this, and we absolutely are going to be... Um, pounding on it, but we just want to flag that we have a really amazing Red Room interview later in the show. Jace, who did you manage to score? Uh, we got the very lovely um, and highly attractive Vincent LaFerre, who uh, shot, I'm sure most people have probably seen by now, as one of the other one of the many films that shot with the Canon C300, was his excellent Mobius, which I think uh, was almost pretty much the shining star of all the films, I think, must be said. Yeah, I thought that and the one that was done uh, by Stargate Digital. Uh, this is were, true. Were, yes, those are the two was, good ones. Yeah. Equally good at uh, showing how uh, interesting that camera is. So that's coming up later in the show. Um, and I just, by the way, I just think, man, you've got balls because you're just like teasing him relentlessly in that interview. <laughs> I was kind of choking as I was listening to it, going, man, I'm glad that was you, not me. Um, but yeah, Vincent was great. I saw him, of course, at the Canon event. Uh, so just to give you an idea, if you haven't been following us on the Twitters or um, whatever else, we've got an episode of FX Guide TV, which has come out, which uh, John Montgomery and I did, the night of the Canon and Red announcements. So John Montgomery and I were at both events, uh, the one in uh, Paramount Studios and 3 o'clock, and then we bolted over for the 6 o'clock announcement at Red, which... I must admit, looked for a second like it was going to be a complete fizzer and turned into the only place in the uh, digital cinema universe you wanted to be at 6.30 that night. Um, and, of course, Jason, you were covering from the other end. You were doing uh, local events with uh, Canon in Australia. Yep, I was at the uh, Australian Cinematographer Society in Sydney in their uh, clubhouse, which uh, Canon were hosting the event there and projecting films off, uh, uh, off the projector system there. So now we want to uh, to give you this background because we're not going to go through point by point, um, menu item by menu item off the press releases because, quite frankly, you can see those almost anywhere. The, the internet yeah. is saturated with them. We are going to put a lot of that information that you might want to have sort of distilled down into one place into the show notes, which are downloadable, of course, from fxguy.com. So if you're thinking that, you know, we haven't kind of gone through the exact details on what this exact frame rate it is or whatever, it's probably going to be published there and you can see it. Because we just feel like we've, if we wasted your time by going through all the stuff after three days, um, as we're recording this on Sunday night after the Friday event, yeah. it'd be a bit dull. What we're going to yeah, do... We've already had a year, we've already had 100 episodes of that. So. What we're going to give you is our take on what we think the implications for this are, and just basically our opinions on whether we think it's any good or not. Um, and we're just kind of... I'm. Actually, honestly, to tell you guys, I haven't spoken to Jason about this. I'm dead curious to kind of explore his reaction to this. And I, I waited until we got on air to do that because obviously, I mean, apart from the fun of the event, we'll talk about that briefly, um, it is a really, really uh, convoluted and complicated and exciting time to kind of be thinking about what the implications are. And I've got to say, Jace, the one for me that threw me is, I, I, you know, it's like you're kind of holding it together. I was holding it together in terms of the implications and everything else. Right until John and I were about to record, we just walked in the door um, 
having come back from the Red event, which was a mind-expanding mm. thing in of itself. And someone said, hey, they've released a new camera. And I was like, yeah, like, duh. <laughs> like, you know, no, 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 <laughs> another one. And I went, no, 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 no. Trust me, I was at the event. And another thing, and they're, no, 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 there's this DSLR they're showing that, look, it's not released and it's a 4K. And I'm, no, 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 you've completely got the wrong end of the stick. And they, like, showed me the press release. And, of course, it was in my inbox as well. And I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. In a world of big announcements, it was as if... Someone was actually cracking a practical joke, but they weren't. So, uh, but tell me, what was the Sydney event like? Um, it was good. I think it was more sort of condensed. It wasn't a big um, every man and his dog sort of event. Not the, the Hollywood one, I guess, was every man and his much glittered and uh, bedazzled dog. Um, it was uh, more, it was a good sort of um, cross section of DPs and probably more. I think the Canon people probably outnumbered us. There were so many people there. It was great. Got a lot of business cards, made a lot of contacts, and uh, it was quite good because you could actually have sort of a one on one with them about, um, about stuff. And also, you guys and everyone I follow on Twitter was sort of, I was sitting there at the Canon event in Sydney and pretty much minute for minute they were uh, timing it with the Hollywood event. So as people were asking questions, I would actually literally had a Canon person literally beside me, two seats from me, two rows in front of me. And it was the kind of event where it was a lot more casual, whereby you probably couldn't, uh, Mike, stand up and, although i Leave you may have uh, stand up and uh, um, and uh, talk over Mr. Scorsese and say, "Excuse me, what's that camera up the back there behind the C three hundred? We could we could we could sort of ask those kind of questions." Okay, so for a start, was, I uh, I did not interrupt Martin Scorsese. Okay, but you did get up at, at Paramount in the studio and ask a few questions. Well, look, let, let's um let's get into it. And we'll, we'll work our way through it. I, the event in in LA was unbelievably rich. Uh, in the sense we parked, there was individual drivers in golf carts to drive us down to the event. And when we got in there, there was everything from an array of stars and DPs and directors, quite frankly, like J.J. Abrams, Rodriguez, Ron Howard. I got up to go to the bathroom at one stage in a break and literally almost ran into Ron Howard and then just like, like I was just like went white and then I like he didn't see that I almost ran into him and immediately turned around grabbed my camera and then take a photo of him no no I wasn't out of the auditorium at this stage you dork Um, and of course I looked over two seats to my left when I first sat down and and there was Marty Scorsese sitting there and I was like oh this is going to be good (laughs) but it was what you'd almost paraphrase as a black tie event as such, after they'd shown all the films and had serious VPs and, and presidents of Canon, you know, saying how great it was and showing us the cameras and everything else, no one had discussed the delivery schedule or the price. And everyone was being incredibly polite and just, you know, applauding this for its everything. And I just literally, when they said question time, stood up and said, look, I want to just, you know, congratulate the filmmakers on how awesome it is, but... Uh, when can we get one and how much is it? And actually the whole place just broke up laughing because I, was, I think everybody wanted to know and no one was uh, <laughs> was rude enough to ask. Um, now, I was told, Jace, $20,000. in the room. Exactly. Good on us. Um, I was told point blank from the stage by um, the panel, so this was like very official in front of, you know, hundreds of people, $20,000 end of January. But yet the number that you got was Correct. different. 
Uh, well, interestingly, I think probably in a world first, I got quoted an Australian price that was lower than the American price. Now, I have a feeling, obviously, with what would have transpired about three hours later, that that sort of quoted price of 20 US there is probably going to be a little bit uh, flexible. And plus, obviously, once, uh, as opposed to the red store, B&H can be a little bit more um, flexible with their prices as well. So, yeah, we got told 17999 Australian. Um, okay, so let's call that 18000 yeah. And that yeah. could be 19,000 US. It could yeah. be that it's a recommended retail of 19,500 or something. Because they said 20,000 as a kind of like, that's the number. But yeah. we all, all know that the street price tends to be different than the recommended retail. And did you get dates? We got January for the PL, uh, January for the EF mount and uh, March for the PL mount, which I thought was odd given the fact that the PL mount would have probably a lot less lot less going on with it, a lot less manufacturer involved in electronics. So I thought that was quite unusual. But I guess they know how to make EF mounts, and maybe PL mounts is something newish. So, I, um, well, I should point out that our event went for hours and was just terrific. I mean, it was among the most well-organized events I've ever been at. I was yes. taking photos at one point, and I literally, sort of peripheral vision, had two security guards flying towards me, and then a woman came in from my left who saw my press badge went, no, no, it's fine, he's allowed to shoot. He's allowed to shoot. Yeah, and I was like, okay, because I had images of me being like line tackled and taken out by these guys. <laughs> Someone wasn't taking <clears throat> images of you being having images of them. Yeah. Anyway, that, um, if you want to see that stuff, it's all in the FX Guide TV. Ours was the opposite. Ours was short on, um, short on films and long on um, a bit more in-depth, a um, lot more slides. And it was quite interesting because they actually played they played swords, right? Uh, and then they said, okay, and that's the end of the films. Now let's go to the Q&A. And I said, uh, excuse me, can we... I think you should play Mobius. <laughs> so yeah. um, it was unusual. Okay, yeah. so so let's discuss what you think of the camera. Um, now we've sort of got past the what it was like to be there. Mm. Um, and uh, I guess the thing is, well, you start because I'm going to preempt you. I knew you would say that because this has been the toughest sort of thing to try and collate my thoughts about this because, uh, I mean, obviously it's, First of all, it's a huge day. It's a huge day. Canon launches uh, not just a camera, but a whole line of cameras and going forward. So clearly they're recognising how much the 5Ds changed the world and um, understand and have removed all the bugbears of shooting DSLRs and, and um, I guess, added another camera to the whole, you know, the whole arsenal. Um, it's... Um, I don't know. I, I think it's a really interesting camera. I think, uh, obviously, I'm tainted a little bit by having spoken to... Uh, okay, bugger off. Stop that. Just let me ask you a point-blank question. Okay. Are you going to buy one? Uh, like, you shoot with Canon right now. Commercially, yeah. you make money as a, as a very, obviously, successful director. Not all your work is that way, but some of it is. If you had a choice between this camera and your SLR now, are you taking this camera? Uh, yeah, you would. Okay, you but yep. would you spend the 20000 to take this camera? Hmm. Well, if, I guess there's a lot of factors, Mike, and you know, this is not just the camera choice, it's all the stuff on the back end, it's how much the media is going to cost, it's what, it's what it's going to cost you to transcode your files in time, how much uh, external equipment like uh, I know, I know, but encoding the, but, cards but and the, stuff that are going to come through it. The rubber hits the road when you just say, you personally, you've got a gig to go to South, Af South America to shoot in some locations it's you uh, an audio guy um yes you're being flown in do you want to take this camera with you or do you want to take something else and if you'd want to take this one you're happy to pay twenty thousand to do it 
if it's minimal crew, I think you, I think you're taking this because what it's going to be doing is giving you uh, pretty much Alexa-like uh, quality of images, and uh, you know it's going to be a lot more filmic than I think a lot of the cameras that have come before. Uh, obviously, the da- the data rate and uh, the amount of data you're going to be generating on the road is going to be less. So you're going to be um, having a lot less to deal with if you've got a smaller crew. Uh, if you can basically have something Alexa-ish with the capabilities that we've been used to in terms of frame rates of, of some of the some of the DSLRs, I think, yeah, I think I think it's the most filmic, uh, and it's also more portable than a lot of the other options so far. So, you know, and based on the images we've seen, I think this is you know this is certainly a choice. Um, if you are shooting um, a sea pool in Sydney, where you know you've got full creative freedom and you're not on the road because you know your car's just up at the car park, is it still mm. the camera you want? Uh, I think for my own personal fun, I'd still be going with something full frame. Full frame still does it for me. I'm not so concerned about all of the other issues with sound recording and things. I'd still, after some lovely, gorgeous, simple images. Uh, I think I'd still probably be going with the 5D. I don't have to record audio. I don't have to, you know, I don't have to worry about aliasing too much. Um, Overcranking would be nice, but uh, yeah, I think I'd still be going for the 5D. This is a lot of this is a lot of money to spend on something for for hobby fun. Um, go off and shoot pretty pictures on the weekend. Okay, well, let me give you my take. Partly because I put you on the spot, and partly because. I'm sure... Well, I knew it was coming, but... Yeah. Well, no, but I mean, you know. So my take is always very close to yours. Close, but not quite the same. I think this camera isn't the camera that the 5D community wanted. This isn't the camera that is going to take out the Epic and own the sort of electronic digital cinema market. Yep. And it isn't for a couple of reasons, and I'll come to those in a second. Um, I do think that if you were taking a camera to South America to do interviews and a, not a corporate, but, you know, like a kind of a documentary style, that, but it isn't in a war zone and it also isn't a cinematic masterpiece with, you know, uh, uh, I love the smell of napalm in the morning with, you know, helicopters coming over the rise. This is a great camera. It's good for interviews, good for um, shooting stuff that is, let's face it, going to look really great uh, and clearly can do cinematic work. But I just don't feel like that's its sweet spot. Um, it's, I think that that 3rd of November date will be remembered as the date that Canon got into this space. Seriously. Yeah. But this isn't the killer camera. There's a camera after this that's going to be the killer camera. I think this is a good first step, but, you know, this isn't, um, isn't going to wipe out the cinema. And I'll tell you why I think that. I think 50 megabits per second isn't enough data rate. Having only... Uh, 422 8-bit out of the HDSDI is not enough. And at 20,000, I think it's too much for the owner-operator that has a 5D that wants to go up. Um, I think for that what operator... What would need to be priced at? Oh, well, okay. I, uh, under 10. What do, you think this, what do you think this camera is worth? I'm sure it's worth what they say it is, but I just think it, if it was 10 grand, it'd yeah. be completely different. Yeah. But at 20 grand, um, it's, it's got some issues... Uh, at ten grand, it's great, but at twenty, it's uh, not that it's bad. It's just you know you've got other options that come into play there. I don't think that the footage that uh, 
you know, was shot by the guys, especially obviously Vincent stuff that I loved, looked bad in any way, shape or form. And I love a whole lot of boxes that you could tick, like, you know, the line doubling problem and the 4K down to 2K gives you a nice image and the rolling shutters less and there's XLR plugs on it and there's audio monitoring. And like, you know, you could literally go through a whole bunch of tick boxes. But for me, if that ended up at 10 grand, then I would be happy to deal yep. with some of the other issues at 20 i'm going yeah you know mm. that's mm. quite a lot um, yeah. but here's the other thing its upside is that it is shooting to cf cards it doesn't require any post-processing or trans um coding and so you can go straight into premiere with it so if you're on the road you come into the hotel at night you've shot at the um you know, the blast site where they were doing this amazing new, uh, they're going to build a bridge or something, you know, they've like just blown out a thing and you'd put up that footage in your hotel room, you'd do a tiny cut, you'd show it to whoever is with you and or maybe email it and they'd all be, oh my God, that's a great shot. I can't believe you got the sun setting as they did the blast. Wow, great. You wouldn't be lugging yeah. around um, a lot of other kit and you'd put it on, obviously, something like a portable Firewire drive and and you could because at 50 megabits a second, it's not too bad. Yeah. There's a lot of people who are very, very happy with 1080p. I've, you know, I've I spent my entire year doing nothing but 1080p and nothing beyond or below, really. There's a lot of people who don't need their project to be future-proofed by shooting 4K or their, their schedules and their budget can't afford uh, the larger data handling times and the transcoding times. Um, and all those hidden costs of you know five thousand dollar acceleration cards and, and stuff you know so the, and, and the fact that as soon as you get one of those cards then you need to have a, a tower to put it on or external enclosures and adapter cards and 17 inch laptops to crunch through all the data so there's a lot of people who are very happy and you know get by very very easily with 1080p and a small laptop and almost USB drives and um, get it done get paid go to bed happy pay their mortgage make some gorgeous images, their clients are smiling. Here's what I reckon. This camera is being discussed a lot with the RED, and we're going to discuss the RED announcement because it's happening on the same day. To me, this camera needs to be thought of as sitting right between the 5D and the Alexa. If you're the person that thinks the Alexa is the camera because you don't like RED because philosophically it's always in beta, you don't like RED because philosophically you think that they're you know, cowboys and you just want standard industry stuff that never has version updates and that just is what it is yeah then an alexa appeals and if an alexa appeals because you don't care about 4k and you think 90 1080 is good and i'm gonna i'm gonna say right off the bat i think 80 percent of the alexa customers are shooting on the sys cards uh, so yeah it's, well, it's probably 50 my no, experience from what i understand is probably 50 50 but you know no i'm i'm, I'm sticking my neck out and i'm okay. without any just on anecdotal evidence I reckon it's more like 80 um, because I think that the high-profile projects, and they look glorious. Anonymous looks absolutely freaking wicked. And by the way, yep. Jase, I saw um, uh, Hugo with Martin Scorsese. Oh, yes. Um, yep. They had a, 3D. Yep. They had a screening here. Martin Scorsese spoke afterwards with the DP and it looks the production designer. <laughs> it's a really good film. As Shot on anonymous. the Alexa. Okay. But these films um, that are shooting to Codex are doing great stuff. But I reckon that's 20% of the market. 80% of the market is shooting the SBS cards. If you're happy to shoot by the SBS cards in compressed format, 92 by 1080, you don't want the 4K, you want the reliability of an ARRI-type brand, then this camera looks awesome because 20 grand is cheaper yeah. than 50 grand. 
and you get almost everything else that you got out of the Alexa out of it. So if you're sitting there, but fifty grand, we know fifty grand. There's no, there's no, is no Alexa for fifty grand. There's eighty grand or ninety or so to actually really get one functioning, and that's and and you're definitely not going anywhere near raw at that price. You, you have to add the uh, codex. codex codex money to go anything beyond uh, ten. Which is is considerably more money. All right, so let's say you're sitting there at eighty grand on an Alexa, then this thing comes in like Alexa Junior, and you just go, oh my god, how can I buy one? This is awesome. Alexa Junior is an excellent way to call it. I think it's, uh, yeah, it's a downstep from Alexa. Just, I don't think it's an Alexa killer, but it, it's no, it's no. what a third or a quarter of the price, and as such, will be really successful. If the Alexa was the thing that you thought was the bee's knees, and you were the sort of person that discounted red altogether, there are people that'll never buy red. Just they just hate the high whole concept of the roar and the having to be, you know, updating the software and being on the cutting edge. And and this camera is a hell of a lot smaller than an Alexa. Yep, it certainly is. It's very light. Uh, and uh, what can't be forgotten also uh, is the fact that, you know, you have the EF, EF mount. That's going to really yep. appeal to that end of the market as a lot of people can have the established uh, existing bunch of optics. I've got to say, though, I'm disappointed that you couldn't have an interchangeable Canon or PL mount. That would have been awesome. Yeah, well, obviously, Nick, uh, uh, Red, have, Red have managed to crack that one. I'm sure it wasn't easy. And, you know, you, you pay for the mounts. It's expensive. But uh, you, the ability to be able to swap from sort of, you know, Canon world and Canon optics to PL mount and then put it on set and fill it with, you know, put a ton of highly expensive rental rental glass on the front of it is is utterly fantastic and that is you know one up the top there of one of the the, the things that will that keeps uh, epic um uh ahead i think so well i i just think that the person that's going to love this camera just isn't considering an epic they're the sort of person that thinks the alexa is awesome yep um and doesn't see what all the fuss is about but not having interchangeable lens mounts is a bit of a pain in the butt um now there's one thing well, i we can't we can't complain here right we've been whinging at canon for forever to listen to the market and telling them these are all the things we hate about dslrs these are all shit help us please um save us from having to buy an alexa or a red we love the look of dslrs or or large large sensors you know sort us out and they've come and they've done it and they've delivered in a really small light questionably affordable package that kills every one of those bugs. Rolling Shutter, Moira, you name it, it's all dead. Well, let's not forget the 10-minute record time limit. Yeah, exactly, 10 because minutes, which, which megabits, well, and truly, well and truly killed. 64, me- 64 gigabyte cards, 50 megabits a second. You're talking 160 yeah. minutes of recording. Yeah, yeah. It's- um, and that whole idea of doing the down-resing is clever, I think. From the, I mean, it's not a particularly new trick, I must say, but doing that um, 4K down to 2K with uh, taking advantage of the green channels double. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, I mean, look, hey, 2K and 1080p aren't that far away, are they, Mike? No, they're enough, though. If this camera was, if we said it was a 2K, why don't they just, they should have just made a 2K camera and then you have 2K or 1080p, you know, we're starting with a 4K sensor, just, you know, make it 2K or 1080p, you can choose what you put down to the cards and then a lot of people would have gone, hmm, well, it's not 1080p, wow. It's that extra 200 or 150, whatever it is, pixels. The other thing is it does have Genlock, so you can do stereo with it. Um, 
though, I think Red Rocket or somebody has a side-by-side stereo rig, which, quite yeah. frankly, is virtually useless. Um, yeah, exactly. It's fine for shooting big Vista plate photography, but there is, there's no practical stereo of side-by-side that's way out at anything above. I mean, the stereo, I shot stereo for three days this week on the backlight here in Hollywood, and we were about inch, inch and a half uh, into axial distance. Yep. I mean, you're not even in the hunt putting two of these side-by-side for a sensible stereo. That would be projected on a screen that would be the size of a, you know, multiplex. Yeah, they've tried to make the camera quite... Well, they have, they have made the camera quite thin, but uh, it's not never going to help. But the it lens, would go... The lenses are wider than you. Yeah, but this would go on a great rig... Mm. Um, with oh, a, it's so light. Beam the camera yeah. would be amazing. Two of these, in you know, and you'd get you know, if you were doing handheld, it might be an okay handheld rig. Oh yeah, three D. If you're shooting two Alexas in your big rig on the crane or for uh, on the tripod. But yeah, you know, look, if you were shooting Alexas, built-in ND filters, the Canon oh, log yeah. thing, you know, Wi-Fi adapters. It's so. Do we have the real? Because okay, there's two things I want to know. I don't know. I couldn't find out for this podcast. One mm. is. Is the log actually log? Because it, it sounded to me like it wasn't a real log function. I haven't got the specs on that log curve yet. Uh, you're asking the wrong person. Okay. The second thing is, do the Canon EF lenses on the front of this thing have full electronic control from the camera? Like, can you do auto-focusing type things no. with it? No. My understanding is no. Okay. They'll power the lenses for... Uh, obviously, like say, like the eighty-five uh, one, to set the f stop, uh, yeah. To or actually, physically, some of those, as we know, the eighty-five L one point two, you physically need power on the mount to be able to even turn the focus around. Um, it'll power it, and will obviously power things like image stabilizers, uh, I believe, and obviously it's adjust iris, but it will not. Uh, there's no uh, auto focus, so to speak, which is quite funny. And actually, Stu pointed it out that uh, it's quite hilarious that um, you have. AF and touchscreen focus on a red camera with a Canon mount, yet the actual Canon camera won't do it with its own lenses. Yeah. So, well, unusual. I guess the only other thing we need to hit on is this camera that surprised me uh, before we move on to, because I think we should play Vince's thing um, before we move on to red. Yeah. yeah. And, and they did also announce this 4K kind of prototype 4K, it looks like an SLR. Um, but it's part of the cinema line of EOS cameras and yep. it's coming possibly and we don't know what it is. <laughs> and it looks like a 1D, but it, who knows what it'll look like when it's finished. Yep. Um, did you get any info on that other than the press release? Not much beyond the fact that is they, they're all talking 4K, they are talking full frame, the ability to do full frame at 24 frames a second, uh, that it would still be MPEG encoded. Uh, we're not talking RAW or anything. And I got the impression that they are still taking, um, still take, still talking to the industry really and evolving it and getting it right. So it's in development, I guess. I didn't get anything about delivery dates or price or anything like that. But um, they were obviously aiming for full frame. And I'm but few- MPEG encoded, so it's going to be M- pretty compressed. Because you know what Canon's weak spot is? Canon's weak spot is that they only have CF card technology. I, I personally reckon their biggest Achilles heel right now if their biggest win what right now, what should they be using? Well, S by S cards, or Which are much more, much more expensive SSD cards, or something that lets a higher data rate. But they just not CF cards seem to be the limiting factor. They have an inability to write to the CF cards fast enough, which is why yeah. Red moved off them. Mm. 
I mean, uh, they're sticking with these cards, which are great in terms of size, but they're just not getting data rates to them. Either that or... Would, well, if you think they would swap to a different format, if that was the bottleneck, that's the easiest thing to swap over. Just mm. put a plug-in that puts somebody else, puts the expense of the cards on the person who buys it after they you know, uh, pay the sticker price for well, the Well, but camera, you, need, you, you need know? to have the backplane supporting that data rate and feeding that and being able to buffer it and write it to the cards. Yes, yeah, which I think it's more the camera's ability to write anything more than and process anything more in rapid time than it is the the the, the bottleneck of the card it's writing to. I'm I think they're I, I think that for the price and I think they're probably struggling to get any more out of the camera and CF card probably just copes with it. Okay, well there is one other thing um, then left is these new cinema EF lenses. Uh, not cheap. Yeah. Not cheap. Not cheap. I'm not sure how much they'll, how many of the uh, EF mount lenses they'll sell for $47,000 or $49,000. Um, and what, I, that what I'm still trying to track, what, find out with the stills lenses, which I was very keen to find out more about, uh, is I keep hearing 7K. Now... I don't know whether that's 7K for the set of three. Of of the three. Or if that's 7K a piece. If it's 7K a piece, that doesn't quite make sense because you can get a red, red you know, red pros, red primes for uh, around that. Uh, and if it's uh, 7K for a set, that's probably getting more into the uh, compact primes sort of territory. So it's probably not, not, not too bad. But I, I have to say, Canon... Sony, three lenses is not a set. The traditional set of primes is four. It's 25, 35, 50, 85, or 24, 32, 50, 85. What? Stop leaving 35 mil out. What the hell? I don't understand it. 24, 1.5. At least they're fast, unlike compact primes. 24 mil, 1.5, 50, 1.3, 85, 1.3. Terrific. But dudes, where's the 35 mil? I did hear they're announcing another two lenses possibly to go with this set a wider one uh, or a wide angle lens and something telly at the end so it'll be like a 100-135 or something and then an 18 but still that's a good expanded set but you've got that real big gap there with the 35mm anyway off the soapbox just for the moment um, yeah $47,000 $49,000 you're really up into sort of ongeno and beyond on sort of ongeno territory there for those short zooms um, reportedly they're fantastic I think these two zooms are the same ones they announced uh, apart from the EF mount they certainly announced PL versions of these I thought at NAB right um, but uh, yeah it's a, a lot of money for something if you if you buy this and it's EF mount you have to really sort of really gamble on the fact that uh, if you're going to say rent unless you're going to get a lot of use out of it yourself you have to gamble by the fact that you're there's going to be a reasonable rental market for it for uh you know through reds or through or through these or through c300s etc so or i guess through any any canon dslr here's the thing i can buy a 24 1.4 um for sixteen hundred dollars i yep. can buy a 50 mil 1.2 for fifteen hundred dollars and i can buy an 85 mil for twenty thousand and fifty bucks. So if you do the math, it comes out to five thousand two hundred twenty-five dollars. If you drop that, that's twenty-three dollars. If you drop that uh, on your credit card at Amazon, you'll get a Canon twenty-four fifty eighty-five. I agree with you about the thirty-five. Um, You're talking about 
at five uh, grand. Just L, L glass, right? Yeah. Just now, can glass. you honestly tell me that you've been unhappy with your 50 mil L glass? No, I mean, not for my own for my own personal glorious. use. It's wonderful. It's fantastic. For my own personal use, it's great. Um, but hang on a second. I think it's great at stills high resolution on a 5D. Yeah. So, it all depends on your usage. You know, I think my delineation is if you're pulling your own focus, fine, choose whatever you want. Go with EF glass, whatever you like. You're the one looking through and you're ch- deciding focus point based on what you see. If you're having somebody else pull focus for you or if you're going remote or steady cam or any other professional you're paying to keep it sharp is involved in, in the job and not you, then you need to go for something other than stills glass. If you're doing it yourself, great, go stills. If not, if it's someone else's butt to keep you sharp, then give them the tool for the job and that involve, that means glass like this or uh, compact primes or, you know, um, super speeds, whatever. Something with so, expanded expanded fo- focus gauges and um, yeah. So my theory is, if it's seven k for the set, if it's seven k for the set, and that's recommended retail, and you could get it for six grand on street value, then the difference mm. between five to to five and six grand, yes. and you have the correct gearing, sounds worthwhile. And then I would love yeah. to have the Canon glass. It's equivalent to the stills, but it's got cinema gearing. It's about the same price. I'm totally there. But if there's a 7K each, uh, I'm not going near them. No. So what's the red, red, red primes is like 20K for a set of five or so. Yeah. So, yeah. But you'd expect Canada to have different economics to, to red on lenses. Yeah. Still, I mean, this is... I don't know, and the 30, are, the 30 to 300 is a rental lens. It has to be. I mean, you're not going to buy it, are you? Uh, no, but if, the, if that's your only lens, or if you, if you love shooting, if, you love, if you're always on tripods or shooting long lens on tracking vehicles, you could put that on and, and you know, if you're a second unit, you could probably put that on and leave it on all day. It's um, the kind of thing. I know a lot of guys who've done long, long form work who will just buy a lens like, like either of these, like a wide zoom or the tight, like buy one of the Ingenieur Rouges, and you know you'd, you'd put it on and you just, if you particularly if you're doing run and gun kind of work, yeah, uh, I, I, I do feel it on all day. I do feel these cameras scream out for light lenses. Yeah, um, absolutely. I had the one two fifty and eighty five on the Epic going around Santa Monica at night. I had room to at one two to be shooting at 120 frames a second. There was so much light, and this was like eight o'clock at night on Santa Monica. I mean, the sun was down, and at 800 ISO on a, and and even more so on these because, of course, the ISO on the Canon is just astonishingly good. Yeah, I mean, I know people slammed some. Of, obviously, we saw some of the tests they were doing, um, at just buttoning on and doing a quick test in a car at 20,000 ISO, and that was. You know, a lot of people slammed it, but I thought, well, that looks pretty good to me. <laughs> and I saw it off SR, um, you know, on a high def uh, screen, and it looked the noise. There was noise there, of course, but it didn't look it didn't look horrible. It looked a lot better than I've seen off red at a thousand ISO. Um, I I would say this. I would say it looked horrible at twenty thousand on the big screen. One of those films that came through, I commented on Twitter that I just couldn't believe they were projecting it. It looked so bad. But I don't know any camera that looks good at twenty thousand ISO. So was why should it twenty thousand? Taxi in the test, the test in the in no, the car. No, it was, it was a, one of the films that you didn't maybe see that you know oh, okay. in the shorts, and they had a whole lot of stuff going on. And the, I heard them talking at the break, and they were like, "Yeah, there was like no light. You couldn't see it with your naked eye." And at this point, I thought, "Well, okay, you're just doing that to prove a point." Because quite frankly, you know, there's nothing actually wrong with actually being able to see. 
the actors and you don't have to sort of have night vision that works. Um, I mean, you know, I, I'm all for not pulling out 20, you know, 10Ks out of the truck, but, I mean, there's nothing wrong with maybe pulling out, you know, one, you know, 300-watt light. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's obviously this this should not... None of this low-light camera stuff should be substitute for actually lighting something whatsoever. I so I think... A lot, yeah. a lot of the guys about it. It's... Um, uh, I, I think what I saw was uh, the test, the, the behind the scenes for swords. I think, and uh, they were just mucking around. I think you know, just two guys in a car, in a car driving around at night, thinking, "Hey, what should we do? Hey, let's go, let's put it at five thousand ISO." Oh my god, it looks amazing. Let's keep going. And they shot stuff at twenty thousand. The clip I saw, at least, was pretty unprocessed, raw, twenty thousand ISO, and it looked you know quite acceptable they said basically they were driving behind a car when the car behind turned off its brake lights basically just the frame went black they were just lighting someone's face you know at exposure from tail lights of a car 20 feet in front so i, I just think that's like an intellectual exercise i just honestly i think that 20,000 iso stuff looked bad it was, yeah, it was no. just it would pass the point of usability but i don't have any problem with that because i think why the fuck do you have to shoot at 20,000 iso like, yeah I, if you could shoot at 3,000 it would be astounding, right? Like, I yeah. mean, I, I, I don't Which see you why... can happily do on F3, FS100s, and a lot of cameras. You can just start getting down to 3,000, and it's perfectly usable. Yeah. And, you know, still add a little bit of lighting here and there, or if you need to, you, you completely got out of a hole. And just come back one stop from 20, and you're at 10,000, because obviously the numbers go up exponentially. And, it, yeah. and I would say stop at 10,000, but try and be 5,000 and below, from what I've seen on this camera. And, you know, you'll be pretty good. 3,000... I yeah. think I think Vin I mean, said three thousand on this camera was like eight hundred on other cameras. Mm. The base ISO is about eight fifty. I think they've rating, been rating it at, and yeah. you don't That's have to go told. too many steps, too many too many stops down from you know a base of 850 to start getting into the thousands you know that's only that's only oh, two, two stops, stops three, yeah, two stops to get to in the three yeah. thousands so that's not far off you know we happily should be pushing sensors down that far on the on the low end and not getting too much noise well i don't think you can push an, an epic that far i wasn't gonna say that well no but i just don't think you can i mean i you know full credit to canon i think they're really good um yeah, I say absolutely, and but Sony do the same thing. You can, you know, particularly, yeah, my experiences with stuff like F three, and you can easily push them, push them that end as well, and uh, just get them to see in the dark. These guys are, are masters at um, it's the, both having that sort of stills background and video background that uh, they're very, very good at getting, getting, getting noise out of a sensor. Let's um, let's go to the interview with Vince because one of the things that I liked about his film is it used the camera well. Like there were no shots where they were just as a wank shooting in stupid amounts of light just to prove a point. I mean, it wasn't that they were... He wasn't making a film, even though you tease him, you know, relentingly about being a clone commercial. He wasn't shooting something just to sort of show off because I can. It didn't feel like any of those shots were were the way they were because we just thought it'd be really funky to shoot where it was so dark we ran into each other. He was shooting to tell his story, which is exactly how you should shoot. Yeah, exactly. He was running up against the natural things that you do rather than let's fake a test or let's shoot it this way just to see what we get. This, it was a film first and then a camera test afterwards. Yeah, So totally. I think it's the, the way to run it. Well, let's cross now to that interview with Vincent in the Red Room. You are entering the Red Room. Vince, thanks for joining us, mate. I really appreciate you taking the time. I know it's probably been a bit of a busy time for you. 
Oh dear, yes. But uh, thanks so much. I'm, I'm happy to be here. It's been a, a very long two to three months of my life. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, thanks for doing it. it. The results are fantastic. I got to say, um, don't take this the wrong way, but are you overcompensating for every? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Uh, probably, definitely. Um, one of my biggest fears has always been that uh, as a filmmaker, my uh, greatest accomplishment would be remembered as reverie. So uh, I do have a gigantic chip on my shoulder about that uh, bad cologne commercial. And um, this was one of the first times I said, listen, I've got to try and erase that with something better. I don't know that anything will come out with as much success as reverie did. It was kind of a, you know abnormality on so many levels. But uh, I definitely try to, to show uh, a little bit of growth, at least as a filmmaker, um, since reverie. Given oh, that, that was the first thing I'd ever shot. <laughs> Absol- <laughs> no, absolutely. You excelled in that. What's different from Reverie, apart from, you know, it's, it's two, two long years in the digital cinematography. Uh, three. Three years. It was, it's been three years, believe it or not. We shot the last, we shot for three days, and on the third and final night, I got a tweet saying, you know, it's a three-year anniversary of Reverie. And I nearly had an aneurysm on the spot, and I was like, you've got to be kidding me. It's been three years? So, yeah, everyone thinks it's been two, but it's been three. It's insane. Yeah, well, I guess maybe those first six months before we had manual exposure maybe almost didn't count. Which, <laughs> Absolutely. Which makes uh, getting Reverie out the door looking the way it did even more of an accomplishment, I think. Yeah, I'm kind of shocked at that when I go back because not only didn't have exposure, uh, manual exposure, I didn't know there was an exposure lock button. So when they gave me the camera, I set that asterisk button to the back button autofocus. So Revy was actually shot in full auto, believe it or not. And you can see that on one of the Chrysler shots as I tilt down. No one's going no to hold it to you. It really is the uh, kind of ship that launched a thousand uh, careers and part of the uh, revolution that continues, well, as of Friday, really. Well, take us through, obviously everyone now knows the specs and, and the, uh, the hard points of the camera, but I guess obviously having shot with it, Um, in some pretty tough conditions and being pretty hands-on with it, Mm -hmm. Uh, even though this time around you weren't the DP. Give us uh, the more practical view on the camera. Well, I'll be very honest and very blunt. Good. When I first saw the camera, I thought it was one of the ugliest things I'd ever seen. Um, And when I read the specs, I was completely unimpressed. I was like, oh, God, you know, here we go. Uh, What am I going to have? What kind of magic are we going to have to pull with this? And it wasn't until the like second or third shot on set uh, during the first day of shooting where I went up to the, the Canon rep and said, you know what, this is pretty unbelievable. You know, we were watching it on one of the new uh, really nice Marshall monitors that had, you know, has a nice range on it. And uh, we were shooting in, in almost high noon light. We actually shot the last uh, sequence of the film as the very first thing of, of the shoot. And it was, you know, no, no bounce board, no nothing and no lights and I was. We did a, a 360 uh, under that type of light. It was more like 10 or 11 a.m. light, and uh, it holds the highlights. You know, when it's front lit on the highlights of the hat, and it holds the shadow completely back lit, and that, that was pretty astonishing. Because you probably were you were running and running around pretty quickly. You probably weren't having even time to pull Iris on the. I guess that's probably a steady cam shot. It was an insane schedule. We we had. Uh, 40 to 60 setups a day. I mean, no one thought we could do it. And um, frankly, the fact that we had, you know, two, we had five of these buys. We only had really used two or three of them. Uh, we had five because we were really worried about the, the, the heat in the desert and the sand. But uh, I was able to, a few times, you know, uh, I worked with a fantastic DP named Polly Morgan, um, who I think 
will probably be an ASC member within five years, uh, and she's quite young. I say that because of her talent, and you know, she she's learned from. She worked with Wally Pfister for on Inception, Dark Knight, so she's right. definitely had a a really good uh, upbringing, if you will. Yeah. Uh, but she was you know phenomenal, and I I just would trust her on so many things, and I would go and grab. Uh, you know, one of the little handheld cameras and, and uh, pick off some shots. We had some comical moments. She would, she would scream at me and say, get out of my shot! You know, she was doing the Steadicam <laughs> with the full crew. And uh, I was there with a little handheld camera. All, most of the shots of of the plane graveyard were shot, you know, as grab shots, uh, handheld, of the gun and the guy's head and stuff because we were running out of time. But what is amazing about this camera besides its performance, and it ha- this has to be said, and, it's, it, and I say this with a lot of trepidation because I don't want producers to hear this, um, is that the fact that you can have two, three, four, or five of these on set, usable and quick, as opposed to Alexa's, um, you know, you can't just pick up and run. Yeah, sure. It's a crew camera, that one. Yeah. Really, really yeah. makes a big, big difference. You know, mm. so if you want to have a B cam, it's not a major consideration. And, you know, we, we had a, um, you know, a young DP by the name, uh, by the name of Mike Flores, who I would just kind of throw aside and say, I, I, give me a long shot of this shot, you know, from, from that angle. And he would operate by himself, you know, with the 3300 and, and pull focus on his own. And, uh, you know, pull the sticks by himself. I was in the second AC with him. And, and that's kind of the point. That's a, that's, that's a great part for filmmakers. It's scary because I've always felt a little bit of guilt with Reverie and, and making everyone, you know, think that now all you need to do is buy an HDSLR and you're suddenly a cinematographer and you don't need a light anymore anything and and you know there you go um you know whereas the truth couldn't be further from the truth you still need great lighting you still need great dps and and gaffers and and crew members and and fantastic acs or especially the first ac on this film yeah patrick uh was was um uh, blanchet was was quite phenomenal i mean there's not a single bus shot in the entire film and um there were a lot of one take wonders to be honest so um all that being said, the truth is, though, this camera can shoot at 3200 ASA close to what the Alexa looks at at 400 800, mm. uh, according to another DP who did, who did some tests. Now, I'm not going to stand by that until I do my own test, but I can tell you it measured up extremely well against the Sony F3, uh, if not, and it was better uh, in my mind. Which is impressive because the F3 is pretty good in low light. At, you know. I think the F is the top dog uh, until this camera in terms of low light, hmm. and uh, I think this camera uh, does it better. And and we've all seen the One DX, you know, with fifty thousand and then that, you know hundred thousand, two hundred thousand ASA. Sure. And I think we're going to change the way we make films. I don't think we're going to say goodbye to to lighting, but we're going to use smaller lights and fewer lights and hopefully more creatively is, yeah. is where I really hope this goes. Yeah, it changes the aesthetic of lighting, I think. What's interesting, you talked about shooting in high light. Mm-hmm. It, none of it looks blinding. None, of the, none oh. of the footage looks like you've been pushing it for dynamic range. Obviously, I, I'm guessing the camera really doesn't have a dynamic range beyond anything what, that we've seen already or the F3 or whatever. It's all no, sort I, of in I, the I, similar I, ballpark. No, I think it exceeds the F3 easily. Um, and I think it's it's quite close to an Alexa. Actually, I would say it's about a stop to a stop and a half less performant in the highlights, which is quite a big statement to make. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I have not done scientific tests. You know, I haven't done a Zakuto shootout or whatever. But I've worked with both cameras, and I've worked with a, a fantastic colorist by the name of Andrew Francis, who worked on a small film 
uh, called Tree of Life and tends to know a little bit of what he's doing and works with Matthew Liebetique all the time and other fantastic DPs like Chivo, obviously. So when he says, oh, my God, this will intercut with the Alexa, I listen. And I'll tell you one thing you probably haven't had a chance to appreciate, Jason, um, and uh, hopefully you'll see this when you see it on the big screens to some degree. This film, this camera, just like the Alexa, has an incredibly organic, granular structure to it. So when you go into the alpha channels, I worked in a darkroom for five years as a youngster. My father did not want me to become a photographer, so he kept sending me to the darkroom to try and get me to, to lose my love for it. So I know exactly what a negative looks like underneath an enlarger. And I cannot tell you how many times I walked up to the 20-foot screen we were grading on at eFilm to take snapshots of it with my iPhone because I was astonished. It was like, I'm, I, we're grading Tri-X here. So not only does the camera have fantastic latitude, um, not only does it have incredible um, you know, detail in the shadows and light performance, but it has an incredibly filmic feel to it, and that's really exciting. You own an Epic and you, you're yes. a f- photographer, so you're well aware of raw image. D- are we missing what you get with the Epic here? Well, um, that's a hard question to answer um, because we didn't push this film stylistically as much as one might with RAW. So when you do commercials sometimes, you, you adopt an incredibly different palette and you push things to the limit. And that's where RAW really comes into play. Uh, we did, you know, we didn't, at no point did we feel um, the need to ne- have RAW on this shoot. So that's the first thing I will say. The C log of this camera, sh- the Canon log that this camera shoots in. Uh, by the way, you do not want to shoot this camera in its default setting. It looks, it looks terrible. You really have to, you know, turn all, all the sharpening off and go to this Canon log that comes with the camera. And then suddenly it feels like you're shooting film. Yeah. Um, but. At no point did I say, man, I wish I had raw. There, was, there are a few shots during the dialogue when we're on a profile where the camera is slowly uh, zooming in. Um, you can see that the, the exterior is starting to blow out just a little bit. And part of that is due to the fact we used the Sahara Gold filter, and we probably should not have. Uh, it was hard to, you know, but I'll, I'll answer it this way. I'm looking at the Epic. I'm looking at the Alexa. I'm looking at the C300 or the F3. As different film stocks and different use cameras, I really don't believe there is the camera. Um, I, I would feel comfortable saying that this camera performs better than the Epic in low light. Um, I would feel uh, comfortable saying that the Alexa has a special quality uh, in terms of the way that it holds highlights compared to almost any camera in the world. And I feel very comfortable saying that the Epic produces the sharpest, most detailed image of any camera in the world that I've worked with, at least. So each has its extreme advantage. And, um, you know, for example, there are many times when I shot with the C300 where I really wished I had 3K, let alone 4K or 5K, to pan and scan or have a little room. And going back to 1080 was a bit of a, you know, a letdown. Um, but what is amazing is that it's still an extremely sharp image. Uh, my guess is they – I haven't gotten any um, you know, secret info on the sensor. Canon has been incredibly mum on this. But my guess is it's got to be a higher resolution sensor than 1080 to produce that sharp of an image that I'm seeing. You know, We were grading this on a 23-foot screen at eFilm. And I kept walking up to it you know, within feet. And I think you, you know that's the ultimate test of a camera when mm-hmm. you keep walking up to the screen as you know, kind of an obs- – 
obsessive nerd, if you will, to see what it really looks like. Well, going to the sensor then, you weren't really in an environment where it would come to play too much, but uh, aliasing and obviously rolling shutter is minimized, if not... Is, is there as much as any CMOS sensor, meaning when you really shape the crap out of the camera and do unnatural things to it, you will see it. Uh, that being said, there wasn't a single shot that we made uh, that had any rolling shutter be a factor. There were maybe one shot that we didn't use that we didn't need where we shot with a 300 uh, you know, on the, on the uh, Russian arm driving at 50 miles an hour on what most cars would blow out in a suspension on at 20 miles an hour. So, you know, I saw a little bit of movement there, but that, I think that, that could be said about any film camera yeah. in the world. So, um, no, the, I don't think Jell-O's an issue. I did see it when I just, you know, did the ridiculous, stupid test of whip, you know, whip panning left to right, you know, against a column. But, you know, if you're doing that as a filmmaker, you've got troubles in general. You're going to have people, you know, throwing up in the theater. Uh, uh, that being said, uh, I think it's on par with almost any camera out there. Uh, uh, and on the high end, in terms of great performance, and absolutely zero aliasing, incredibly sharp image. So, and you turn the sharpening down. Yes, and, and whatever you lose by being at 1080p, you make up for this incredibly sharp image. Excellent. So you've shot with the A3. The rear EVF uh, is probably yes. the worst point of that camera. I didn't see you using the uh, rear EVF much. I'm going to bite my tongue a little bit on that one. I, I don't. I, I let's. I don't think people will be using the C300's EVF uh, or on-screen LCD uh, as much as they will external monitors. Uh, put it to you that way. Yeah. And yeah. you know, we were using the Zakuda EVF and the small HD DP4 uh, and the Marshall, the new Marshall um, external monitors, and had great, great results with the HDSDI and, and the HDMI out. So. Um, uh, and again, I've got a really – people listen to me. that I was working with a, a prototype camera, so it's very possible that those were not final monitors uh, on the camera. That's the only quote-unquote weakness. But, I mean, I've got to be honest, that can be said about the F3 or almost any camcorder I've ever used. So that's why uh, I use um, you know, the, the EVFs and the Marshalls. Uh, I do like the, the Alexa's uh, EVF somewhat. The only one. What I really love is the reds. Uh, I find that to be a fantastic EVF. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. So I'm I'm, I'm basically saying they all kind of suck, with the exception of the uh, red, which probably gave me even more trouble with more people now. What I don't know is the the glass situation. Is glass a launch item? Uh, so Canon announced uh, two PL zoom lenses NAB this year. And those are the ones that we use. Right, 30 to 300 and uh, 14 to 60 yeah. or something, 14.5 to 60, yeah. Yeah, we're fantastic. I, my dream lens up till now has always been to somehow own an Optimo 24-290-26. I would still love to have one, but I'd frankly probably go with the Canon 3300 because of its weight and size relative to that lens. It's, it's actually uh, lighter and smaller. And uh, wow, what a fantastic, fantastic lens as well as the wide. We shot 95% of the film on those two zooms. And it was most of the time on a Steadicam, uh, the Russian arm, uh, or poor Polly. I tortured the woman um, and had her ride in the back of a Jeep on dirt roads with the 15. Um, I keep getting the length of that zoom wrong because I keep uh, mixing up with the LZW uh, from Zeiss. But uh, I think it's a 14 to 14.5 yeah, 14. to 60. 14. Yeah, 2.6. 60. 
Yeah. But they're fantastic. I mean, they're, they are true city lenses with every bell and whistle you'd need. I did not notice the difference between that and using, you know, ingenieurs or uh, – I use mostly ingenieurs in terms of zooms. So You said you did a bit of run and gun. The camera's got good form factor for uh, running around with a prime. Yeah, so we did we did put a few Canon primes on there and it worked just as, as expected perfectly. And all the helicopter stuff was shot with a 1635 version too. So the only the only difficult challenge I think people will have with this camera is having to choose between the two models. So there you know there's the EF model or there's the PL model, and uh, unlike the Epic, uh, you can't interchange the mounts, and that's that's a shame because um, having been completely and utterly spoiled by the Epic now, and uh, you know being able to travel with my EF lens kit as well as PL lenses, yeah. It's hard to have to choose which camera you'd want to buy. It's more camera than a 1DX. More camera than an it's, F3, it's, probably. But less camera than an Alexa. It's Well, let's, let's just... It's definitely more camera than an F3. It's not that much less camera than Alexa. Sure, the Alexa has a stop and a half. But I'd give that stop and a half away on a lot of shoots to be able to handhold it by myself and operate it on my own. With no cables and huge Anton Bauer batteries, et cetera, et cetera. So you got to evaluate that a little bit, you know. Uh, this camera you can probably hold with your pinky, bare, literally. Uh, and try doing that with Alexa. So I think weight and size is a bigger factor than most people realize. And sure, who doesn't want the stop and a half uh, more in the highlights uh, of the Alexa? But you know, we've been shooting with much worse, haven't we, for quite a while? Yeah. And um, also, once you put the uh, the raw box on the Alexa, it becomes a behemoth. So, um, you know, the yeah. only camera right now that actually shoots raw in a small package remains the Epic, which is why it's, it's a thermal nuclear, uh, uh, you know, uh, device in terms of uh, consumption and heat and all that. It's... It's really like putting a, a nuclear reactor inside a camera is the way I see the Epic. So you've got five pre-production and not ready for prime time cameras thrown into the desert on high vibration rigs, steady cams, dust, desert heat. That sounds sensible. Polly and I were extremely stressed out. Uh, we were expecting a 170 degree temperature, which will kill just about any camera, uh, in one of the dustiest environments with very fine sign that you can find. Um, and shooting day exteriors the whole time uh, on moving vehicles and helicopters and steady cams, and uh, that's why we had five cameras. We were supposed to have two, maybe three, but I kind of called in and said, if there's a place that a prototype, let alone a normal camera, will fail, this is it. So they they were afraid too. And the reality is, we did not have a single camera burp or issue in three days. So that's impressive yeah. with prototypes. At no point that we have to reboot a camera or shut it off because of heat. Um, so that's a pretty good testament. Yeah. It never reached 107. It was you know in the high 90s to mid 90s. But so they still. don't get hot? I mean, do they have fans? It's, it's kind of like it's just a big yeah. uh, DSLR, There's I suppose, right? It's like a big DSLR. There were yeah. no fans, and then we never overheated once. The best thing I can say is the cameras are a non-factor. They just work. That is the ultimate sign of any good technology that lets you get gets out of your way Yep. Unless you get on with being creative. Let you get your job done more creatively, quicker, faster, however, but uh, not slow you up. His gear will never never enable you to make 
images as much as it will stand in your way of making it or making them. So uh, I agree with you. I think you know when when you see people hurling cameras across the, the which doesn't happen too often, but you realize that the price of that camera compared to the loss of what is happening on set in terms of cost on a big production is nothing. A failing camera could cost you a hundred dollars a minute to a few thousand, depending on what you're doing. So talk about your workflow. Obviously, shooting to CF card is really convenient. You're not producing gigabytes of data every day. No, I mean it was it was probably the most seamless I've ever had um, uh, uh, in terms of workflow and ease of use and, and file size, especially given the quality you get. The camera records to the dual uh, CF slots. So you can do it concurrently or go from one to the other. So it's hard to run out. And what we actually did is record, we recorded to both cards simultaneously pulled both of them, copy them over to the DIT station, and then put one card away in a wallet should an absolute disaster happen. And that was a really reassuring thing. Not only did we have two copies on multiple you know, rated drives, we also kind of kept the cheap, what is now a very cheap CF card. Uh, and it's got to be said, with the cost of CF cards these days, it's almost worth keeping them with the files on it. Yeah. Um, and I've spoken to people at Lexar, and they have told me that those things will never really go away. So um, a quick little anecdote, I once ran into a photographer who never understood that CF cards could be written over, and he literally had an entire closet full of them from his shoots. And we all made tremendous fun of, about, you know, of him. This was like 10 years ago because they were so expensive or five years ago. Um, but he wasn't that silly after all because that is probably the single safest place to keep digital data available today is, is a CF card. So. Um, you know, that's a really nice point about this. And, and you know, we, we also, we threw the files right into Premiere and edited immediately. No, no transcoding, uh, no slowdown. Boom. Uh, our editor, Vashi Nedovansky edited, uh, 18 hours of footage in two days. Wow. Yeah. It went through it, which is pretty impressive. And if you'd have to transcode that, forget it. We would never made our deadline. Okay. Well, frame rates. Yes. Well, that's that, that's that's the only other little letdown. Uh, the maximum this camera will do at 1080 is 30 frames a second. So uh, that should keep Red very happy uh, with their 120 and 300 frames a second performance, um, as well as the Alexa, which uh, I believe does 120 now. I have never actually shot that high. I always shoot at 24 or 48. But, but um, uh, the point is. Uh, that's going to be the one thing people go, ah, oh, you know, there's, there's the one thing it doesn't do. It does, it does do 60 at 720, but I've never been a big believer in that. Although, oh, uh, Stu Mashwitz probably proved me wrong quite easily in, as he did, you know, in Nocturne saying, you know, if you blow it up, I think it's 30%. Um, it's, it's on certain shots. It's not that noticeable. It was always an issue when you were recording a camera that did a lot of aliasing. It just completely magnified it and was almost uh, unusable function. But uh, when you've got a camera that uh, has virtually none, it's probably quite usable to go to 720p. It, I, I believe it, it would be. We just, you know, obviously this was a technical test uh, that was going to be, you know, shown at Paramount on a 60-foot screen. So it wasn't really in the cards for us to try and do that. Um, but um, I think that uh, the image is so clean and sharp that I, people, a lot of people will definitely be doing it because, truth be told, how many of us really go to 60-foot screens you know, relative in the market to the total number of people shooting, you know? You're mainly running off VLOC batteries. Was that just a supply of the camera battery or there is no internal battery? Or we, There's definitely internal batteries and they last forever. Um, 
we would go through – I mean I, I wasn't the first AC obviously, but I, I never remember it being an issue. The Preston battery was much more of an issue than the camera's battery ever was. We, we had Anton Bowers in the back mostly to power the Prestons and the motors ex- and, the, and the external monitors. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a very compact little package. You mm-hmm. know, it's, 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 it's smaller than the F3. Uh, it's, it's closer to the size of the XF100. Um, and uh, it runs off a battery for quite a while. And uh, it has the XF305 codec, which is supported by Avid and uh, Premiere. Uh, not by Final Cut Pro at this time, either 7 or 10, which is, you know... Well, it's rapidly becoming less of an issue, but don't get me started. Don't get me started either. Um, and uh, so there you go. It uh, looks like Mr. Valente's already had his hands on the camera. Yeah, I think he, he slept with it for a few months before any one of us saw it. Uh, he definitely had it and definitely made this cage to go around it, and it worked quite nicely. This camera uh, is hard to use without some sort of you know cage or cheese plate around it because it has very few mounting options. So it's, it's still, you know, again, the ergonomics aren't perfect. They're definitely not a problem for production, but it definitely does not have the ergonomics of, say, a RED or an Alexa. There's an industry for every camera. Yep, here comes a new one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everyone's making mounting points and brackets and cages for every camera. So, you know, yep. this camera's got no room for it. It's too many buttons. A lot of buttons, um, and uh, what is? I'll tell you one thing that this camera has that none of the others do, which saved us a ridiculous amount of time. It has built-in ND filters, and those things were on ninety percent of the time. And I can't tell you uh, how useful that is to be able to go to one sixty-fourth with a touch of a button or two. This was uh, done in two three five. Was that just a crop in post? It doesn't have a two three five mode. We just we just want to do it for aesthetics. Yeah, cool. Well, aesthetics it has in spades. Congratulations! I love your perfume commercial in the desert. It's... <laughs> Thanks, Jason. <laughs> no, sensational. Well, this time it's a cologne commercial then, because the uh, the lead is a male. So at least give me that. Right. Okay. I'll give All it. Right. <laughs> Mate, thanks for talking. I really appreciate it. Uh, congrats on the film and the project, and you've really made the camera shine, and they certainly gave it in good hands. Appreciate it. Thank you, Jason. So I, I love that interview, Jason. I just, it's, I mean, he's a great guy. I saw him at the Canon event, obviously, um, and uh, he's a really, really nice guy. And he was twittering from the stage. Which was hysterical, and I'm sitting there, and I, came, I actually saw him after, like, right after he got off the panel. I mean, you were tweeting from the stage, weren't you? I thought no one had your phone. He was like, no, no, that was me. <laughs> <laughs> but um, his points about you know built-in ND filters and the how much process, like that 18 hours of stuff that he could process of the footage. Yeah, these are all really, really valid points. Um, but I've got to say, like the uh, the stat that impressed me the most, which one was I was not expecting before Thursday was that he went into the desert where he said 170 degrees. Is that right? That's like 76 degrees centigrade. That's like... Can't be right. That's like <laughs> meltdown department. Anyway, it was obviously really, really, really hot. And the fact that the cameras worked so reliably is, um, you know, it's what you buy a Canon for, right? Like that really yeah. well-built camera. And look, I think what I took away from it was the fact that these were prototype cameras. And you and I, Mike, we've been there before and we've had the odd issue with prototype cameras. Um, it's uh, to go in the desert with uh, a really short schedule, a ton of shots to get done in. They did that whole thing in three days. 
um, and to not have any breakdowns, not have any issues, overheating, nothing. I think, and, and in his words, it's just like the gear just got out of your way, just let you get on with it. So, uh, you know, that was impressive, and I think it's just a, it's a great effort for, you know, certainly for three days in the, in the desert with effects um, gags, multiple camera, camera rigs. Uh, what you should do is also... Um, one of the other behind the scenes you should catch the video behind the scenes of of mobius because i'm sure it's either on his blog or certainly on the canon the new canon um cine site uh they got all the behind the scenes for all of the shots and i'd be you'd really be quite surprised um what he got achieved in three days it's a testament to the fact that these cameras you can throw them around quite light putting them in octocop you know quadcopters and uh, rc chopper rigs scorpio heads Russian arms, um, yeah, impressive to get through that in three days and come out with a film with a plot. Fantastic. So um, we, I don't think, should personally be directly comparing the Epic with the Scarlet. Uh, sorry, with the Epic with Scarlet. We should be doing that. No, we should definitely be doing that. No, we should. Yeah. <laughs> we shouldn't be doing is the Canon three hundred with the Scarlet. Yeah, as if that's the only game in town. I, as I say, I think it's much more relevant to hit the Alexa, which, by the way, has gone up to 120 frames a second, albeit in 422 HQ mode. Yeah. But because of the nature of the announcements, we were forced, as it were, to look at the Canon to the Scarlet as a one-on-one uh, mano-a-mano shakedown because after the 3 o'clock event that sort of at 5 finished the formal stuff and then went into um, being able to walk around and do interviews and, you know... Uh, hors d'oeuvres and cocktails and the rest of it at six scarlet went well <laughs> was meant to go live um yes i was trying to get in there um i think i was uh, still i was sort of very guiltily still at the canon event uh, on my iphone trying to get anything i could out of that site and it was completely even on my iphone which is you know it's never brilliant trying to do net on it i could tell that they were seriously being slammed well, they weren't the only ones. I must admit, our FX Guide live blogging site had, uh, what were we working out to be, 20 times the traffic and took our site down. Um, but thank God for Twitter. And we weren't the only ones. Red's uh, site went down. Now, we didn't have it, a final ruling on this, but I spoke to the guys off the record that night. It really looked like a denial of service attack in addition to just everyone trying to hit it because they had already amped it up a lot. Yeah, It, it wasn't a case of, well... Wouldn't Red have known that they were going to have a lot of traffic? Yes, they absolutely knew they have a lot of traffic, but they had a massive um, denial of service attack. We think um, somebody just being a smartass, um, and I absolutely don't think it's conspiracy. I just think it was somebody just being because they just knew that the world would be watching. Um, but whatever happened, you never underestimate the Scarlet Empire and all the people who want to try and purchase one as soon as they possibly can, who have seen and watched people buy a cannon mount five minutes after the store opens and still be waiting for one two months, three months afterwards. Well, we had I hundreds of people camped on our site at 12 o'clock midday, and the announcement for Canon wasn't until 3, Scarlet not till 6. Yeah. And we had a couple of hundred at 12 o'clock when I looked uh, at lunchtime. So they obviously would have had thousands, but they were, they were set up for it. I know Jared had actually gone a lot of trouble to amp it up. So anyway. Yeah. Well, Can I give you the rundown of what happened from my side of things before we get into the yeah. discussion on, as we did with the Canon site? So I just want to set the picture for you, if you, because obviously not many people were there. I was online when Jim said, hey, if you're in LA, you can drop in at the studio when we're doing the announcement online. 
And I went, oh, that'd be good. I'll drop in. And then a bunch of other people. Then it suddenly turned into a party. And then they suddenly you had to have tickets to get in. And they had to have your name on the door. And it was all became formal. But they always said, oh, it was just going to be what you could do outside. There'd be no advantage in going because, quite frankly, it's just, you know, Jim saying stuff rather than, you know, any sort of particular whatever. Like, it wasn't as if, um, <clears throat> excuse me, it wasn't as if this was meant to be some kind of priority way to kind of do stuff. It was just, hey, you know what? Uh, you can drop by and we'll have some beers. It'll be cool. Yeah. And so we turned up, and if you've ever been to the Red Studios, it's actually about 15 minutes from Paramount. So we, you know, bolted from Paramount. We really got treated like royalty there, and it was an incredibly lavish event. There are rumors of incredibly large amounts of money, a <coughs> million dollars, <coughs> that Martin Scorsese was paid to, to uh, talk there. So this was, you know, like you just was hot and cold running uh, anything. The Red Event, we walked in and imagine a soundstage that's kind of got some, I don't know, partitioning up to break it in half. And there's a video projector slammed at that partitioning. And there's just a whole lot of kind of folding chairs on the sort of bare concrete floor. There's no decorations. There's no signage. There's no, you know, dancing girls and no VIP limos, no individual golf carts to drive you around there's just a couple of card tables that have some beer and some nibblies and a lot of people just standing around unable to get any kind of internet service and unable to get to a website and the screen that is projecting up on the wall is going to play the showreel a couple of times because nobody else knows what else to do and there is no one there that you would call senior management now there are a lot of good people from red don't get me wrong it wasn't like the room was empty but there's a few hundred people there but all the obvious players, the Ted was in China, Jim wasn't in the room, Jared wasn't in the room, you know, none of those guys were in the room. And everyone's just sitting around. And it looked like it was going to be the flop of all flops. I mean, it really looked for a brief period there like it was going to be really, really dull. Because if the internet wasn't up, this video projector, after it had played the showreel a couple of times, just had the same page everybody else had on their, on their iPhones, their iPads and their, their laptops, which was, you know, <laughs> cannot load page and we're all just sitting there and i'm looking at john and john's looking at me and we're thinking okay this is not kind of that cool but we'll just hang around for a bit and i um i got word to a couple of the guys behind the scenes by this stage by the way i had lost my iphone at the canon event and and fair enough like it was never meant to be anything more than that and so i'm looking at john john's looking at me we're thinking well, are we gonna hang around here or not or should we like you know make a break for it and you know we could obviously sit at our you know offices not now in in red's offices looking at a blank screen it didn't need to be then we could start downloading and editing and stuff for the that night's fx guy tv and i thought god i felt sorry for red but by the same token it was a bit you know like they had 300 diehard customers there who were all going to just basically leave going well that was lame and the canon event was not lame the canon event was very very well run (laughs) now i don't know I, i know people have said this wasn't like that if you were not in that room but at 6.30, it went from being the dullest place in Hollywood to being the only place on the planet I wanted to be because Jim walked into the room and he was seriously peeved by what had happened, not with his team but just with the circumstances. There was just no doubt in my mind that, you know, if he was the sort of guy that punched people, then several people would be lying unconscious by this point. Um, and he walked up to the front and they gave him a microphone to address the crowd and, and even that started failing. And he had to throw the microphone away and just yell. <laughs> And he basically said, look, we, we can't get anything out. We don't know what to do. Now, 
I've said this on Red User. Some CEOs would have gone, we can't do anything. We're so sorry. We can't make the announcement. You know, goodbye. We'll have to reschedule. Yeah. And he didn't. He said, you know what? Anyone here on Twitter? And I'm like, you know, half a million uh, of us put our hands up. Gee. And he said, right. Check. You guys get the word out. I'll tell you, you Twitter. And I yelled out, can we take photos too? And he went, yep. We had banned all photos. But yeah, now you can take photos. on the whole live, completely. live video. Yep. yep. But a whole lot of people have brought their laptops in because they needed it to order. So... But I get, a lot of people didn't bring cameras in because you weren't allowed to. Of course, I brought a camera in because that was me. So um, so we started filming and taking photos and blogging and Twittering out what happened. And then this is what I think is so remarkable is that like it, what could have been a PR disaster turned into a near religious revival because for everyone that had bothered to turn up at Red, who were obviously Red customers, they're incredibly committed to the company. They're, they're obviously kind of I mean, there was some press like us, but there were obviously a lot of really loyal people there. And Jim directly addressing them, directly dealing, and then going further and saying, look, because you guys can't order and people outside this room are able to order now because they can get through on the phone lines and a few other things, I don't want to penalize you. You guys are here. You helped us get the word out. So everyone in this room goes to the front of the queue if you're ordering a Scarlet. It's just I'm making that decision on the spot as I stand here um, because you guys bothered to turn up. You guys are bothered to do stuff. Now, you might think that's right or wrong depending if you're in the room or not. Obviously, in the room, I thought it was a pretty good idea. Uh, But but everybody that left that place, instead of going away, going, that was just so lame and so annoying and so disappointing, went away like just completely uh, in love with the company, kind of reinforcing the we're up against the machine, kind of we're against the system attitude and – you know, the crowdsourcing out the information. It, you couldn't have, you wouldn't have wanted to, but you couldn't have scripted it better for yeah. just rallying the troops and making everyone feel like um, they were part of this. They had ownership. They had, uh, you know, buy-in. It was, it was astonishing to see the mood change in that room. It was really actually, I've got to say, just an incredible performance by a CEO. And this was an unscripted, on your feet, everything was going wrong. I mean, they couldn't get slides up on the projector for about 15 minutes, had no cameras, he didn't have a microphone. It's just him standing at the front of 300 hostile, you know, users. And not once did he look like, I'm going to give you bullshit. He was like, I'm going to stand here basically and answer questions until there are no more questions that would be asked. And we're going to get a bunch of cameras brought in right now that you guys can then play with. But until that happens, here I am. Let's go. And he just, off the cuff, just spoke to everyone for 45 minutes. And it was just inspiring to see that kind of – because, you know, it would have been so easy to say – I'm not going to go out there and be humiliated and embarrassed and, you know, whatever. And he didn't. So, yeah. See, it's almost, it's pretty much about the best way to plan, to do it anyway. Even if they hadn't, didn't have a plan, right, that, that would have been a good one. And uh, probably took away more from that than the, uh, go, or, than all the uh, crystal and golf, co- golf carts at uh, Paramount. Because if you'd flown over, and I knew people actually flew in from New York, they had other business, but they mainly flew in to go to that red event, and then you'd flown back and it was a busted flush, you'd have been like, God, this company just cannot get its fucking act together. But instead of that, they went back going, yeah, just awesome. Like, they just totally looked after us. They totally, you know, no, we didn't have expensive champagne, but we got to just hang out with the guys, see the camera, talk about it. They looked after us. They promised us that we weren't going to get shafted. And, oh, my God, where do I sign up? I mean, it was, yeah. uh, it was inspiring. So, did you? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in. Um, and, uh, you know, but for commercial reasons, not just because I'm a fanboy. I mean, I sure. just think we can make money from it. Um, yeah. I think, okay, so do you want to, I've spoken for a bit. Do you want to give your take on 
the actual camera, what was actually announced? Well, we sort of had a... There was a lot of rumours before the rollout of what this might have been, and I was starting to get a little bit annoyed of or worried that they were really going to... We knew, and of course we picked it as well in the last few apps, Mike, we've been talking about the fact that, you know, two-thirds is dead, Scarlet's gone as we know it, and basically what we're going to see is a... Um, I won't say dumbed down version, but a simpler version of Epic, and it sort of ended up being so. So, what I was worried about that it was going to be so good that it was going to really piss off a lot of people that had been in the queue for weeks, people that had been doing stage three, people who had uh, who were in line or had paid for an X or an M and had paid big money for a camera with a lot of capabilities. And Redwood could bring out something for ten thousand dollars that would be ninety percent of that camera, and uh, obviously um, they didn't really. I think they've obviously produced a camera that is uh, falls short of really treading on the toes of Epic, but gives it doesn't give the Scarlet crowd exactly what they want. I think it gives them more. The more I think about it. Uh, that Scarlet is actually there inside. If, you, if you're really worried about the fact that, oh, where's my 3K camera? Well, and, 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 and if you're worried about the fact that it doesn't really have HDRX and for over, over cranking, put the camera in 3K, buy it, put it in 3K mode. You can do, you can do HDRX, admittedly just at 25 frames. Uh, you can over crank. Uh, at, or put it into 2K rather you're going to have the same field of view as you would have had with a two-thirds inch Scarlet and you're going to have um, you know some of the capabilities that you didn't think you're going to have like HDRX which was originally not on the cards but then it was so it's there is still some of the original Scarlet still in there if you're um, and it's not a big enough camera that it that it really treads on the epic toes so I think Though still, you have to add a. If you go with the base model, obviously that's not really a camera you can't. It's not really a camera you can just grab and run with. Uh, you're going to have to put uh, a bit of uh, a bit of kit onto it. But what they've done obviously is build some uh, epic uh, sort of run and gun kits where they're giving you everything you need to get up and running with uh, side handles and uh, batteries and a media and a media reader um, for I think 14 grand. So, uh, I guess we're not really going to do the comparison between C300, but, uh, it's, you know, the money, the money is certainly there to compare 14,000 for, um, uh, well, I say 5k camera. I don't think it's really fair to call it a 5k camera, is it? It's not really a 5k camera. Um, I don't think, uh, I think... I mean, it's a great I, B camera. It's a great yeah, B sure. camera for an epic shoot. It's yeah, I mean, a great studio dialogue camera if you're really just going to sit there and do dialogue and you want to have that four big, you know, big four K image and you're going to just shoot at normal speeds. Um, then, then it's it's terrific. You're not going to be able to go off speed and HDRX really doesn't kick in until you start having sensor crops. This is but, what I think. I think this camera is a Red One. It's the replacement for the yeah. Red One. Think of it 4K. It's a replacement for the Red One. And, oh, by the way, if you pay, you can upgrade it all the way to a Dragon-censored Epic. And so you've got a, an upgrade. If you, if you think, well, this is a cut-down, half-the-size Red One, 
Exactly. You won't be disappointed. Because uh, about the one, time that the Red One becomes end of life. Because a Red One doesn't do HDRX. Now, this thing does do HDRX, but only at, you know, reduced size. Mm. Um, it doesn't do super frame rates, but then neither did the Red One in terms of like yeah. 120s. It doesn't really do 5K, but neither did the Red One. But having said yeah. that, nice to have the 5K when you're shooting stills. Yep. Um, plus, you can interchange all the accessories. Um, I will say this, though, that a lot of the specs that you see out there are quoting, you know, um, 6 to 1, 7 to 1 as the uh, red code kind of compression. Yeah, I, I think you totally code. should be doing 10 to 1. I mean, Spider-Man shot 6 to 1, right? Don't bother yeah. telling me that you need to go higher than Spider-Man. Um, yeah. It's totally I mean, we've shot fine. a lot on 12 to 1. That's perfectly fine. I've seen some oh, great yeah. comparisons between... 8 to 1, 7 to 1, 12 to 1, and really, it's not like it really starts to fall apart. All I've seen is just a little tiny bit more noise. But um, I think that, uh, look, you know, Stu said jokingly, I think, that it was um, the retarded uh, brother of Epic, which is pretty harsh, but it certainly is the junior version. But, you know, the thing is, like everything in this business comes at a price. If you want to have a cheaper camera, it's going to have less features. And if it didn't, you said it yourself, you just annoy all the Epic owners, right? Yeah. And if Scarlet was exactly the same as Epic but half the price, well, it would be putting the Epic out of business. It's just, And also, it's not like... This is the kind of thing that kind of annoys me about the 3K for 3K discussion. Like, I get that people want the, the two-thirds inch. I don't, but I get that people do. But do you really think that if Red could have done 3K for 3K that they wouldn't? I mean... Like, I really think they would have. If they could have, when they said they were going to, have done it, they would have. It's not like they're sitting there kind of going, yeah, let's not release that camera. <laughs> you know, they would have, yeah. they would have bloody released it in a heartbeat if they'd even if they had even if, even if they had complications with the fixed lens, and which would have been an incredibly complicated array to, to build, even if they had had complications with that, they could have released just a normal... Uh, so, you know, a, a, a lensless body. But, you know, it was... Just, it was it was a camera that was announced right on the absolute crest of the wave of a lot of other a lot of other camera and gear crushing crashing down and it um, you know it was a bit of a tsunami of options at that time and two thirds at the time was a great you know a great a great junior burger version of of of, of the red one but uh, or the epic and we've you know it has been a busy two years, as we keep saying, three years even, if you look okay. at going back, as Vince said, to... So, so from a positive point of view, right, the, the positives are at least it's only one type of camera body. So if somebody's got some epic um, stuff, their Scarlet will work with it perfectly because it's the same camera, basically. Yeah. That's a big plus, actually, because if you had Scarlet and Epic and then you couldn't put the side handle from the Epic on the Scarlet... Like, we didn't even think about that. That would have been really friggin' annoying. So that's, I think, a definite positive. They got yeah. under 10 grand. I totally, I totally applaud them for doing that. I know that that's not a working unit, but I spec'd out a working unit, and I reckon if you were an owner-operator, you could easily have a good Scarlet package for 20 grand that includes a lot of stuff. And yeah. if you're a rental house, that would probably be closer to 30 grand. Um, and if right now you're approaching red, the only M package that's available for the Epic is more like 58000 So if you really wanted to get into red, but you weren't on one of the pre-existing Red 1 kind of deals, you've got an entry level that's either 30 down from 58 or 20 down from 58. So that's like, that's big. Secondly, yeah. that 20,000 number is 4K, not 
2K, and it's stills and video. Oh, by the way, does the E300 do stills? It doesn't, does it? Uh, it only does frame grabs, so 9 in 20, 1080 grabs. Yeah, yeah it doesn't do 4K. No. Yeah, okay. No. So you've still got a... So that's that's a really big positive for me. Um, a huge positive is that if someone was to get in at $20,000, which is, you know, as I say, a working package, and make money and be successful, then a year, whatever, two from now, they could put their money down, upgrade the inside sort of bits and bolts to epic level, and then stick the dragon in it. And I mean, oh my God, if you're an owner-operator, having that up your sleeve, you look, if it's not working for you, don't spend the money. My, if it is exactly right. You, if it's not working for you, don't spend the money. My my understanding with the upgrade is that you can obviously pay to upgrade, but there will still be data l- rate limits. No, no, no. Right. What 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 I understand, and I trust me, this is direct what they discussed on the night because this was the number one point Jim said employees of Red brought up, is that the actual electronics in the Scarlet aren't spec'd the same as the Epic. So if you want to get a Scarlet to a Dragon Epic it'll cost you more, but you'll end up with the same end piece. So yeah. think about it this way. Imagine there was, and there isn't, but imagine there was like a single chip in there that cost, you know, 5000 I'm, I'm just making these numbers up off the top of my head, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, okay. So imagine that the not fully spec'd version is only costing 3000 Well, there's a $2,000 difference there. So obviously if you upgrade the Epic, you don't need to change that $5,000 chip, and so consequently you've just got the cost of the new Dragon sensor but if you had to do the scarlet you have to get the three up to the level of the five and then you do the dragon upgrade i'm just making these numbers up right okay do you know what i'm saying so you'd have that additional two thousand to get your electronics even and then the dragon upgrade and then you end up with a effectively an epic dragon although it's gray in color i think if you just do the dragon update then it's um, no no he said he said it was unlikely to let you do that because it probably to use the new sensor you would probably probably have to have epic level um Electronics, but anyway, yeah. that's a big thing, right? That's like good. it's a really, yeah. really big thing. Um, yeah, and again, that, that doesn't tread on the toes of any epic people. The people they've still, you know, it's still a fair way away in terms of time and to have that option as, as availability, oh, totally. and it's still going to be reasonably expensive barrier barrier to entry, or more expensive barrier to entry than if you were doing the same with an epic. Okay, another big plus: this is shipping in two weeks. Yeah, that is a big plus. And, and that is a big freaking difference to like sometime before an AB. I mean, I know and it can slip a week in a week, um, but, you know, it's more likely to slip a month if it's a month out. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think if one of the things was hinted to in terms of delays was the aluminium uh, yes. cannon amount. Was, uh, if well, it, that had gone off. If uh, anything was going to delay it at all, uh, so I would just read that as there will be delays. Um <laughs> It's going to be the aluminium mount. So if you really want to just spend the extra money and get the titanium mount version, there's less chance of uh, some delays there because obviously they have uh, stock of... Well, they will have stock of both in titanium. And another huge plus that I think I applauded loudest for is that before that two weeks is up, they'll have playback on Epic and Scarlet. Yeah, Sad that it does need huge applause, but um, well, no, we are, we are. Uh, the Alexa it, it did take a, the Alexa did take about a year to get playback after it did came it? out. Mm, okay, yeah. Alexa didn't have playback on shipping. Yep, yep. But it does. It's it's you know sorely needed. Okay, so that's I think those are like the for me the big 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 pluses, right? 
Mm. Uh, and I love that there's going to be Nikon mounts and uh, Leica mounts, and but they don't personally make me, you know, run around with a, you know, T-shirt over my head with my hands in the air <laughs> screaming victory. I think the T-shirt over my head moment is, although it's terrific and I applaud everything they've done, is the uh, announcement, and I really don't know how they're achieving it, but... Um, all back orders of all accessories to be cleared by February. I think it started as January, and he said, oh, make it February. <laughs> he literally said, we're going to solve this problem by January. You have my Okay, make it February. You have my word. <laughs> but I, Which I think is terrific because, I mean, the back orders are bad enough now with just the Epic and Epic MNX people. Now the floodgates of the masses of people who are buying almost bare-bones scarlets just to get their foot in the door are going to need a ton of accessories. So... Red moat, side handles, EVFs, red rocket cards, all the stuff that's been traditionally hard to get. Uh, I, I'm, I applaud the fact that they're going to try and address that because there's been months, half years, years. People have waited, you know, over a year plus for uh, bomb EVFs, if not more. Um, so if we can clear all that, that'd be just sensational. Um, yeah, that would be that would be a real signal or a real flag that we've really moved on now if we start to sort of ship this stuff in a couple of weeks and back orders are cleared or non-existent i think absolutely i think it's really really huge and of course it makes sense i mean if you think about it right if they're basically making just one camera at two grades you know it's epic and epic light then it makes everything easier right because everything becomes you know one of them and the one that you make is because you know it's all the same accessories on the side of the cameras and stuff as before. So, look, that's all the positives. I do think oh. there are some negatives. I think we should, you know, that it's not totally um, game over because there's two other things I think that are really, I think one of them you, you, you were the first to say, which is the price of playing this game is a red rocket card because you do not have the ability just to rip out a SSD card, put it beside your Mac and start editing. I mean, you just, you just don't have that. Yeah. I mean, people say, oh, look, it's drag and drop with Premiere. It's fantastic. But at the end of the day, you're still going to want to grade and, and export this stuff to something other than what you can happily edit with. And, yeah, that's going to take a while. Red Rocket is, you know, we sort of learnt this, is that there's a, it's an absolute necessity. You know, I, I think in the old days there was some sort of discount. If you had a red one, you get a little bit of a discount on a Red Rocket card. But... And, you know, it, it being a full-size PCI card dictates that if you currently have a MacBook Pro, you're either going to have to then buy something to put that in, you're going to have to get a tower, or I, I, I'm, I'm talking in terms of Mac, I understand, obviously there's PC options. Um, or if you want to, if you've got a 15-inch MacBook Pro, you're going to have to swap that over for a 17-inch MacBook Pro, get an external... Um, get an external enclosure to put that card in and then the the CF, the express card uh, adapters and cables to run it all. So, yeah, I think it's, it is definitely one of those hidden costs. I think the second thing is that there's no two ways about it. There's, there is just a shortfall, as I said earlier, between the low-light ISO performance of a, an Epic or a Scarlet and that of the competition. Like... That is not the strong suit for yeah. red, because yeah. they have good latitude with HDRX. Don't get me wrong, but you don't shoot in. You know, I don't ever shoot above eight hundred. I don't. I mean, I've seen people shoot two thousand, and it looks kind of good on the little five-inch LCD, and it looks crap when we're trying to grade it. I mean, it just does. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's I, true. 
I mean, every oh. single time you roll with another camera that has great low light, you you basically just the, the the latitude is there in the frame. We with HDRX, you have to shoot double the data rate to be able to get that extra range, in, and it's more in the top end than than anywhere else. Obviously, you can underexpose one track, and mm. but uh, it's not really you know the way to do it. And you are double, doubling your data throughput and doubling the time it takes to process, render, grade everything. And so with that in mind, the fact that the HDRX maximum frame rate at 4K Quad HD is 15 frames a second is disappointing. It would be really nice for that to hit 24 because if you could have 4K Quad HD, or for that matter just 4K, but 4K Quad HD, um, with HDRX at 24 frames a second, then you've hit a real, like that's a real, I don't know, pivot point, right? Like it's once you get to that, HDRX and you can't shoot 24 frames a second well I don't really care it's like you know I do you think though to, well you have, yeah you have to go down to um, 3k you're going to have to start to get in crop if you want to get standard frame rates with HDRX yeah and it's that's a shame because if yeah. I'm lensing for I think you should be thinking of the Scarlet as a 4k um, Red doesn't say this I just do it should be a 4k camera and it, it would be great if it had 4k HDRX now I know they're working on that but I think that would be a really huge thing if they did it. But look, yeah, Jason, we, I quizzed camera. you. Yeah, yeah, I quizzed you on, and it has, you know, audio and everything else. Um, I quizzed you on whether we, you know, what we thought the the killer points are to make this camera a win, and I think we did actually end up with something remarkably like under 10k, 4k, has to be able to, um, you know, maybe HRX, maybe not. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And uh, I, I think, you know, it was for, for the, I mean, I'll say it, I think they just totally, they scored a win in an environment where I know that going this way was going to make some people unhappy. Um, like if I had to pick a camera, and God knows there are cleverer people than me at Red doing this, this is the specs I would have voted for. But I do fully respect the fact that there's a serious number of users, including many people that listen to this show, that would really liked a six thousand dollar camera, and or a ten thousand dollar camera with all the bits, and unfortunately, you know, Red can't make that camera. Um, but then, no, there's just a big gap. I mean, if you're on a five D, and you want to move up from a five D, it would be nice if there was some big mega killer option <laughs> between yeah. the, the what is it, you know three thousand to five thousand dollars by the time you sort of trip it up. And $20,000, which is kind of what we're talking about for both of these Canon and, and Scarlet's. They're really stuck with I, wanting to promote what, what are their sort of key points of that, you know, re, they can't really sort of hobble it with any kind of um, codec other than red code. You have to, they've hung their hat on on RAW and on 4K and and obviously HDRX is part of their, you know, amazing um, abilities. So to really bring out a camera that was um the other point is the fact that these are still considered to be you know part of dsmc to be digital stills and motion picture camera whether many people that whether enough of the market is using it as stills as well as motion picture i don't know but clearly you can't really go two or three k or 2k 3k camera for stills and really be giving people reasonably decent resolution of stills I think if you put a if you, either an ex, a third party or a red manufactured on camera 
recording device that gave you ProRes, yeah. um, this becomes a brilliant episodic television camera. Yeah, they really could have hooked up with with KeyPro or something and made something that fit into as part of the module. Well, they still Uh, can. It's it's been you know it was talked it's been talked about for years that it would be terrific. People asked for it forever. I know we've got a lot of outboard stuff and a lot of a lot of other third party people that that use what comes out of the SDI and 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 encodes the data with a lot of a lot a lot of um, what you need to a lot of metadata through there. But it would be really great if it was fitted into the DSMC system with another module that could dock. Even if they didn't make it, at least make it to the spec that it would at least fit in. Part of the camera would be self-powering, would be, wouldn't need stray leads, uh, and would give people, yeah, be it ProRes or um, DNX HD or um, um, Cinema DNG, some other, some other codec that... Uh, didn't have you know that didn't have all those barriers to entry entry of data data wrangling that we've talked about. So, I, I think for me, um, I think that there is a group of users that are not currently well serviced, and they were like, well, we would have been happy with two thirds inch, but we would have liked the whole package out the door at six k. And quite frankly, we got excited when we thought it was going to be three k. Um, but you can't push a three k camera to 10, make it, call it 15 to 20 by the time you get a working package. I mean, I'm a bit harsh when I say 20, um, but I'm allowing kind of a red rocket kind of notion. Oh, thing absolutely. Media. Um, Media. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, quite frankly, you know, 4K, Quad HD, 10 to 1, you know, you can get uh, almost an hour on a 64 gig card. And yeah. if you're an owner-operator, you shouldn't be buying. Look, God, Lord of the Rings, oh, sorry, um, Hobbit yeah, you buy, just is buy shooting two. 128 cards. Yeah. You know, don't go by 56s. It's nuts. No, but still, two 264s is a couple of grand. Not, not that much, is it? They're not that expensive, those. Okay. okay. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Let me have a look. Anyway, so, uh, so I, think, um, I think this is a really sensible decision for Red. I understand they didn't disappoint some people, but... The fact is they're delivering a camera that solves a bunch of problems and is dramatically cheaper than what they've got in the marketplace now, but yeah. maybe just isn't as revolutionary as it possibly could have been. But quite frankly, what they probably need to do now is get stuff shipping out the door properly and stop. Like if they'd released, if they'd announced the Scarlet that was more impressive than this, but wasn't shipping until NAB, I think it would have been a hash fail. Don't you? Like if you, they'd said Scarlet is still five months away and oh, by the way, it's going to be awesome. Yeah. I would have come away from this going, really? How many times have we had bloody Scarlet announcements? Just well, wake me up if, when we've got something that's shipping. Yeah, particularly if this was three hours after Canon said, yep, we've got a camera and it's shipping in the, the beginning of the year. Yeah. So, it's so going to ship three months before, yeah. Yeah. I think they had to stop talking about it and shipping it. God knows they can still do more cameras, and I don't, you know, but that's what I think anyway. So, yeah, well, clearly, look, they, they, you know, they know where their strengths lie, and it's in all the functions they've put into Epic, and they also know where they're where they're falling down, which is delivery, back orders, um, and just not getting stuff out the door. You know, yeah. Stop, I think pretty were pretty, you know, and Red would agree. People were pretty just pretty sick of just hearing about it, and there's. As that dragged on, I think that's added to, uh, you know, that 
the the scarlet the diehard scarlet crowd who still do want their fixed lens uh, two thirds inch camera that'll do 120 frames 180 burst all of those specs that they clung on to for three years uh, still still were hoping for something like that but uh, it's not unreasonable that you could have because you know the expectation was set that's what you're going to get um, but I yeah I just feel like uh, this is a good camera. It's a win for them, but it's not as jaw-dropping a thing as Epic itself. Yeah, you know I mean, I've, like, it, like yeah. it's a it's a win, but not the, the whole industry just got changed. Yeah, I mean, there is a lot of arguments that people are saying. Well, look, you know, you just you haven't brought out Scarlet. This isn't Scarlet. This is just Epic with some bits left on the bench. You know, this is not. Um, you you basically just failed. There's thousands and thousands of people who are really keen to buy, or you know, who are full, still foolishly clinging on to the 3K for 3K, or the. When I say 3K for 3K, I mean the. You know, you know what I mean. You mean yeah. we, mean, we mean the soccer mom camera. We want you know the the all in one um, camera that's um, uh, you know a bit more run and gun. Um, and basically, you've just dropped that. You've killed it, and you've called this epic light. Uh, a scarlet to uh, allay fears you know that's the whole as we've said it before it's all in perception it's all in what you call something you know it's uh renaming renaming let's make something else well we know we can make epic so let's make a simpler epic and uh, call it scarlet and so i, I don't agree I, i'm with you the fact that i think that it's a win but uh, i you know you cannot ignore the fact that there is a lot of people out there who um, um have been hanging on probably too long to to the dream of what Scarlet was. But I would say that that it's not as if the market has got a saturation of cameras in the gap between the 5D and that $20,000 number. Yeah. There Look, are some, other, but not a yeah. lot. There are other cameras now. You know, we've looked at this, this FS100. There's a lot of other cameras that are, that are doing... Hell, you can have an NEX5. There's cameras with Super 35 sensors out there that, you know, you all are limited in some of the the functions. And they're not going to have RAW and they're not going to have HDRX and all the stuff that we know RED for. But, you know, if you if you really want a small, light, you know, um, all-in-one or put a simple zoom on, you, you can just grab a 24 to 70 Canon and put, put, it, on a, um, put it on a Sony FS100 or, you know. Or just wait a year until Canon brings out their their other their uh, full frame camera. I, I think the other thing is that that timed with this is that the Canon mount is now out there, right? And I've got to tell you that even though I know that it has huge focusing problems, being able to shoot with a fifteen hundred dollar one point two fifty is awesome because it's all very well getting this camera, but if you can have to spend fifty thousand yeah. dollars on a set of lenses, yeah, then I'm sorry, but it's a big difference to people, right? Yeah, and people like to own their own lenses. They hire specialist lenses, but a lot of people like to have some lenses. Maybe if they just called this, if they just switched off all the four K. If you just look at that, you know, I say just look here, just look here. It's great for radio. Um, you look at the chart of Scarlet X. If they just switched off all of those capabilities above two K and said it's okay, it's a two K, it's a, or just say it's a three K camera. It's a three K camera. It'll do up to forty eight frames a second. It'll do HDRX, but only at normal speed. So you can overcrank, and it's going to cost you ten grand. People were going to would have gone, hey, that's not bad. 
Great. Oh, it's got a PR you now. You didn't have to then spend. No, but you'd have to have spent more money to get it working. Yeah. Like if it had done that, if you'd made it a three K camera, a cropped sensor. I don't know that. I don't know that artificially hobbling it is even in Red's DNA. I don't think they can. But <laughs> even in. But I'm sure any Scarlet that would have come out would have still needed. St- other still bits been, of gear. Would have still need other bits of gear. Yeah. You know, still needed the Scarlet that uh, we played with at NAB. That had an uh, EVF on the top of it. That was, wasn't built in like the very early versions, flip out monitors. It still needed stuff. You know, it still needed. And it still needed a red rocket card to process yeah, a ton of footage. Exactly. So. So, okay. Well, yeah, we talked look, long. We talked long about it before over the last hundred episodes about how it's 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 it's, it's not right and it's never going to fly. And there you go. It didn't. We, we've, we've born, something else is born out of the ashes, so to speak. And uh, but I, I, I bet I'm, you I'm, there's I'm some happy. cool things coming in NAB. <sighs> okay. I'm telling you, you these projectors. Now. These projectors. Keep an eye out. Hey, um, in all of those questions, by the way, yeah. it's completely off. But did anybody yeah. ever ask what, how much Red Dragon was going to cost? We know now that it's going to be mid two thousand and twelve, so it's probably going to be no. But what NAB. tended to happen is when we got onto other subjects like the light field camera tech and stuff. Yeah, Jim kind of said, "Look, we're here to talk about Scarlet, so let's talk yeah. about that," and and sure. in a nice way, right? Yeah, sure. Um, and so I think. Rightly so. Everyone wasn't using it as a let's ask Jim about. I mean, I certainly didn't ask him about video projectors and crap. I, you know, yeah. we were like, "Can you buy the camera out of Red Europe?" Yes, because that's what somebody asked me on Twitter, and I asked that question. You yes, know, there's a bunch can. of those. I asked people to ask me questions on Twitter, and we asked a bunch of them. Yeah. So, um, but Red Dragon upgrade was something that was brought up, and I just wondered because you know, everyone well, keeps the, talking about it yeah. and hanging their hat on it, but no one actually knows how much it's going to cost. Well, so, you know. But yeah, would it matter if they said how much it's going to cost now? Because it's always going to be something different anyway, right? Well, if you're hanging on, your, if you're sort of thinking about the, one of the factors of buying your ep, your Scarlet is the fact that you're going to be able to one day in you know a year or two, once you've saved up, you can then sort of spend that money again and become make the get buy the. It's kind of like buying, kind of like uh, buying your Epic in 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 a couple of. Um, payments basically you know get halfway to the specs now and then upgrade it to a full camera in, in next year if you're hanging your hat on that ability it'd be great to know now that it's going to cost twenty five thousand dollars yes but it won't, i'm, I'm sure just it saying won't, that, but you know but you're you're making the assumption that if they came out and said it's twenty thousand dollars that that number would be rock solid take it to the bank which quite frankly i don't think red would say and consequently i don't think it's much point saying it no you know it won't be twenty thousand dollars but you know it won't go down well, you don't know anything, right? I'm just saying, like, okay, any no, number don't. that far out is just a bit irrelevant right now. Yeah, still. But if people are basing their their choice, uh, their 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 purchase of Scarlet on on what it can be in the future, then that's okay. A, so, a valid Jace, question. Yes. Red changes stuff. <laughs> <laughs> just don't try and give it a level of accuracy it doesn't have, dude. Anything if there's anything talk- I should know after a hundred oh freaking episodes of sitting here talking to you about it is that they change stuff. And that's fine. God love them. But, you know, I'm sorry. Exactly. If they said some number, it would just give you a false sense of security. That's what it was going to be. Hey, know. let's I keep going because there's some other stuff I want to discuss. Sure. Um, and it's, some of it's related. I'm going to jump ahead if I can. I know we want to touch on, uh, but um, I think this is kind of important. Uh, firstly, there's a new issue of um, uh, Red Cine X Pro that's out. If you haven't seen yes. Red Cine X Pro 5... Totally recommend it. It's it's awesome. It has plugins in it, including the Alchemy one, which is a 
basically like does a lot of contrast curve adjustment that we used to do manually, uh, but that's not the only one. Um, and there's a button now, like if you load it all up, the latest version. I had a quick up, play and I kind of thought, oh, this is unusual. And then I said, no, no, it's good. Quit it's it good. So I but there's another thing. Dug deep enough for it. It, if you're on a Mac, it gets in your top timeline thing, you know, where the power supply is and the whether you're not on Wi-Fi or not. Uh-huh. It comes up with this little new oh, yeah. red logo. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And anyway, and what's interesting about this is when you round, put your... Because uh, I've been shooting, right, here in uh, LA. I've been shooting a lot on Epic. Mm. And I put my SSD cards in and they're read-only. And that thing controls whether they're read-write or not to stop apps from uh, accidentally doing stuff to mm-hmm. your... Mag, so you put the mag in, it goes read only, right? And you can switch it to read write in that menu because obviously yeah. you need to be read write to put stuff back on it, like a, a look to load in the camera. But it prevents macros from being added or spotlight catalogs or stuff that it does when it searches the the thing, thinking it's a hard drive and adjusting the file system and stuff. Right. So it's it's a really good thing. Um, it can happen, of course, if you sort of unmount it or have a bad cable or something like that. So that's really awesome. Um, and, and just worth noting, because I don't, I don't mean most people have discussed that, so have a check that out. I just started, I, I did the download, and I've been shooting with Epic this week, so I was like, oh, hey, check that out. And I love this um, alchemy thing. It's awesome. I think Jim posted he uses it all the time, and I can see why. I mean, clearly you have to dig a bit deeper, because it just seemed to add contrast in an interesting way, but... Um it's nice. You know, you check, play with it. It's nice. Yeah, no, uh, yeah. Okay, we'll do. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, here's the other thing I wanted to discuss. Peter Jackson's latest Hobbit production diary is up. Yeah. Now, this is A, very funny, um, <laughs> B, very informative. But I think there's a huge, uh, not huge, there's a brewing kind of interest around a part of that video where they discuss that wardrobe costumes and, um, and practical on-set uh, set yeah. design is Wigs going much more saturated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. Particularly talk about the design of uh, uh, I don't I forget the name of the actual forest, but they've designed they've got a, f- a forest which they've sprinkled with an awful lot of colour, and the idea is that they've boosted and, and in their own words they were saying that because red takes a lot of the colour out that they've oversaturated a lot of those colours that they want to still remain. So okay, but here's the thing. Unusual. I, I call. think. Yeah, I think what you're finding, though, just want to clarify this. Like, I'm not speaking on behalf of either uh, Weta, the Hobbit production team, or Red, but I think what they're referring to there is that the people that are saying that aren't camera department, they're yeah. wardrobe and production, and I think they're using the word epic, sucking the camera out, uh, color out. I think what they're actually referring to is coloration and polarization stuff that happens with the stereo rig because of the mirror. Right. Like, there's nothing wrong with an Epic. I mean, it doesn't suck saturate. It's not like you can't have saturated colors out of an Epic. I mean, that would be absurd, right? Like, because we've shot with it. It's no problem whatsoever doing saturated colors. So, when I saw that, I was like... Because, I mean, these are are not training videos. These are just people talking. Now, the Hobbit people know absolutely what they're doing. They are completely... They know what they're doing. Um, But clearly, when you're putting a polarizing thing in there and you're going for the certain looks that you're going for and you're dealing with the sort of issues that they're dealing with. They've done tons of tests and they found that's a good way to go. But the video implies that there's a fault with Red's colour space or something and that it doesn't seem to handle saturation well, which just isn't true. Yeah. So I think that's actually a mirror thing and not a, um, you know... 
I think uh, they also want to make those colours leap out. So rather than have to sort of treat them separately in post, they're sort of just building it into the set because they can. And when they do, you know, grade everything up, that those colours are going to uh, be quite all the more vibrant because they started sure. off so. But if somebody starts saying to you, oh, the red has real problems with saturation. So did you watch that uh, Hobbit video? Yep. Do you think they actually have their concept artists drawing a left and right eye view in blue and red pencil? Because obviously that's a complete joke, right? <laughs> so I'm just saying, like, hysterical. hysterically funny joke, but I can imagine some dick at a meeting going, I want my concept art oh. in stereo. That's what they did on The Hobbit. You know, so putting glasses on. Throwing over each other's shoulders. It was hysterical. I mean, you know, yeah, it's ridiculous. It was but very funny. I mean, it's very good. It don't very get me funny. wrong. But I just, no, I'm just quite a little worried that people will suddenly start saying, oh my God, there are all these saturation issues with red. Well, there just isn't. So yeah. let's not let that one get out of control i know a lot uh, but, of the people who listen to this know a lot of the background tech behind it and you know work every day on on, on productions kind of like this but uh, still not it's still great to see the uh, uh after hours i guess the camera room where they've just got they've just shoved everything into one corner and they've got like three technocranes and and the, uh, the steady cam rigs and the shoulder rigs and um the sort of tripod rigs all sort of all 48 epics all out on a bench and peter walking down telling them you know that's oh. my dad that's my dad. That was named after my dad. This one's my after my pug. This one was named after my my other dog. And yeah, they're, they're, got, look, they're, they're wonderful. They're wonderful. Don't get me wrong. It's just they're New Zealanders and they have a wicked <laughs> sense of humour. And I just think that you know, if you don't get that, if you try dealing it as a training video, this is not some kind of expose on a fault yeah. on red. And if you pretend that it is, it's just yeah. you, you're missing the point. No, um, <clears throat> speaking of rumours, do, do you want to address Kodak's uh, president's statement? Yeah, well, obviously there's been a lot, and I'm sure we've mentioned it on the show, on and off, that uh, they're keen to address the fact that they are still making film, billions of feet of film, and not just and not starting to wind down on their production of film. Uh, Kim Snyder, president of, of Kodak, of their entertainment imaging division, was was uh, did a, a um, press release, I guess, to address the, the rumours, mongering, um, basically pushing the fact that they are developing an awful lot of uh, colour science and um, st- working hand-in-hand hand with with en- the entertainment industry to uh, keep film a part of it as long as they can and also, you know, developing ways to still project with film. So it's uh, it was quite interesting. Again, link, links, links in the uh, show notes to that press release, but... Uh, they're very keen to squash the rumours that, you know, they're stopping making film, you know, far from it. So I mean, we're obviously, going... they're, they're obviously they're admitting the fact that, you know, things are, you know, things are, you know, slowly declining, but uh, film, they're about to release new vision, vision stocks, uh, vision, you know, cinematography, camera stocks, not just print stocks. Um, but yeah, definitely looking at R and D towards expanding their archival stuff. They're still obviously pushing the fact that archiving is uh, a huge, uh, a huge thing for film. That it's still one of the best ways to um, store a, a print of a film. Absolutely. I'm going to keep moving because we're running out of time. Um, yep. uh, so we know that automatic dark got bought by Adobe and people said, oh my God, this is the end of civilization as we know it. You know, thank God that we had them, but now they're gone. But actually, it's far from it. In fact, we have some good news from the automatic duck camp, don't we? Yeah, uh, they've, I guess because a lot of this technology is being rolled into or will in the future be rolled into um, upcoming Adobe products, 
the older plugins have been basically just left on the Automatic Duck website for free. Basically, what you would have paid hundreds and hundreds of dollars for last month is now free from uh, exporting from Final Cut Pro projects to After Effects, from Pro Tools to FCP, Motion to After Effects. There's a lot of plugins there, and yeah, but just they've kept the site up as a thank you to for the for the for the last decade or so of of people looking after them to yeah leave these they're obviously not obviously going to support them going forward but uh um grab them while the site is probably still active it won't be up all the time i'm sure the uh, servers are going to cost them an awful lot of bandwidth and being able to download all these a lot of people going for all these plugins and grabbing them while they're there so i won't last forever automaticduck.com and yeah thank you to uh wes plate for putting that up there and for developing them in the first place Absolutely, yeah. So um, we're going to just whip out the end of this, the app with a couple of quick things. Um, there is actually one tool that I've been using since I saw it on your iPhone, even though I was – look, I got we get sent apps all the time, and I actually, I confess, I didn't jump on this straight away because I thought, oh, it's another app for the iPhone. And then you were I using it. I confess the same. <laughs> but you were using it in, the, in my – uh, you know, in, next to our grading suite. And I was like, oh, what's that? And you were like, that's that thing. I was like, oh, I've got that, but I just haven't been playing with it. You were like, oh, it's actually quite good. Look, and I've been hammering it this week. And this is the, uh, what, do you want to tell us about it? The, yes, the Carter Data from uh, Carter Batic is uh, a post house in New York. And uh, Emery Wells is a friend of the show who is... Um, Co-owner, I guess, is part of the part of that production company, and uh, has been developing this app for a while. And um, it's, I think, it's probably the only tool that will really do. Uh, certainly, the only tool that, that covers Epic, but it's a terrific tool that basically just basically does data rate calculation, storage calculation, and it'll do it sort of backwards and forwards, and not just Epic or Red. It'll work with. Um, all, all sort of formats and will work in whatever multiples you want, whether you want to work out how many gigabytes or no, no, tell me about it. Tell me it in megabytes or um, how much is 500 gigabytes going to last on the Epic, uh, the certain data rate at uh, 5K 2 to 1, how many running minutes running time am I going to get? So you know, going back to what we talked about, you know, once you start to get into these high generating tons of data, you really want to be able to start doing a bit of pre-production and production budgeting for how many hard drives you're going to need, how long is this stuff going to take to back up at the end of the day or during the day, what drives you're going to need to purchase for a gig, and and yeah, I think Mike, you even asked you, you what triggered the conversation is you were saying how much am I going to be able to fit on? You were working out how many drives you needed, how many SSDs you need to oh, yeah. uh, take away look, with you. I mean, I was over at uh, Uncharted Territory and they were discussing their requirements on Alexa and they were having to do all these calculations. Like, it's what we do these days is do a lot of these calculations. And even Jim, when he was presenting at the thing, was like, oh, I can't do all these, keep these numbers in my head, but there's a chart here somewhere. So for, for all of us, I, I've got to say, this one's good. What I would like, is, and it's five bucks, what I'd like is it to be popular enough that they keep it current as it is now because obviously this is a changing landscape yeah. so I'm kind of selfish when I recommend it because if it's successful enough they'll keep releasing new versions of it because um, there was something like this back in the day oh, lots but of them. It, it kind of fell into disuse and of course the second that it doesn't handle the latest version of whatever you're on um, it's not very useful yeah somebody but, asked me oh how, you know asked me a specific epic sort of data rate question I said 
hey, I got an app for that. I got like 10 apps for that. And I kept flipping through my phone going, oh, well, that one doesn't do it. Oh, and that one can't tell me. Oh, and that one crashes on launch. And that one uh, d- doesn't even know what how to spell Epic. So, um, yeah, it, they clearly there's a lot that have formed by the wayside who've stopped development. But this one uh, is good. And it's look, it's... Uh, it- the other problem is I hope they don't make it vastly more complicated and suddenly it starts working out depth of field calculations for you because at the moment it does one thing well. Yeah. And for me, that's what an app should do. So five bucks, worth spending. Definitely. And it's, and as I say, it's I, not red-centric. It's <laughs> and I ended up buying... I was offered a free one. I actually ended up buying it myself. Right? So, um, yeah, we're not... Uh, we're not recommending any other reason than, than we actually bought it and actually used it. Hey, um, so Carter Data in the store, go to iTunes or whatever, that's uh, with, a, with a K. For our uh, Twitter shout-out this week, I think we should re-shout out Vincent because both his blog and his Twitter feed are excellent. That's true. Um, Vincent's uh, actual Twitter handle thingy is at I'll spell it V-I-N-C-E-N-T-L-A-F-O-R-E-T um, and if you go to him and follow him and 30,000 people currently are there's also a link uh, to his blog um, which is just blog.vincent.com so the um, or Vincent Lafferet the blog thing is excellent it's just really like what you want it to be a cinematographer slash director slash stills expert uh commenting and rightly so on the things from his point of view uh doing behind the scenes stuff and you know what quite frankly the guy uh is uh, really good he's just yeah. a talented uh you know i mean i i have to confess a few people out there that uh you know I wish they'd actually done a bit more before they started profess to, you know, tell everyone else how to do it. Um, and uh, this is absolutely not the case with Vincent. He just really actually knows what the hell he's talking about. So yeah. really impressed. Um, yeah. And, you know, he doesn't get into kind of bitter, twisted carry-on stuff. Either. Yeah. He doesn't. So it's just, just a people. really positive uh, force. So we appreciate. Now, obviously, we might be saying that because we're a friend of his. But the fact is that there are a few people out there in the industry um, that are very generous with their time and I think we need to you know, acknowledge them and support them and he's certainly one of them. Yeah, thanks again. Um, so that's it for this week. Bit of a huge week. Obviously, we've got more stuff coming up. I'm really keen to talk uh, to you, Jace, about uh, Uncharted stuff with uh, Anonymous, which I think is phenomenally interesting yeah. and actually a relatively low-budget film. Uh, you may not know this, but it's actually... Uh, it came in in the like kind of twenty to thirty million dollar range, and I think it looks just a gazillion bucks more than that. Yeah, you know, we spoke to the guys in uh, Germany, I think. Yeah, yep. And they shopped so around to try and get it down for that much. It's a lot of money on the screen for not a lot of money in their pockets. And also, we went to, uh, as I said, Martin Scorsese's uh, industry launch to the guilds in Hollywood uh, here with the DOP, the production designer, the uh, sound designer, the um, well. The visual effects, uh, Rob Legato, visual effects supervisor, and they all spoke after we saw the film. And I have to say, we were seeing the film so early, Jace, there was a couple of shots in there that weren't finished. They were the previsors. Um, but uh, we were honoured to be uh, seeing it, and I loved it. I thought it was oh, that's great. good. Um, I've got high hopes for that film, both of those films. Yeah. So, anyway, we'll talk about that and more coming up in uh, future weeks. I'm obviously here in uh, San Francisco at the moment. Uh, we'll be doing interviews for FX Guide and FX PhD. And we're up at ILM tomorrow, and we're doing um, uh, Tibet and a bunch of others. We've done a ton of stuff down in, in um, LA, of which I also want to talk to you about things like uh, 
shooting stereoscopically and uh, and other stuff. But we've run out of time for this week. I just want to thank a bunch of people this week really um, solidly. In particular, my team in the Sydney office who worked basically through the night to get out the FX Guide TV and who also are going to be editing this. So Matt, Jim and Ian and everybody just want to just total shout out. They're just complete friggin' heroes. I mean, just remarkably so. And I also want to shout out, uh, uh, and this is an odd one, but John Montgomery, my business partner, who is traveling with me. So obviously John is a, you know, one of my best friends in the world. But not only that, but this guy is so generous to me that when I lost my iPhone at the Canon event, today he not only spent like the better part of three hours sorting out the iPhone for me while I could do this recording, but he let me uh, have his first-class seat up here from uh, LA because he's just that nice a guy. So wow. If you can get into business with really good people, it does one good. And I also want to thank Jeff Huser, who was uh, looking after us and will be again when we get back down to uh, LA next week when we're doing more stuff uh, in, in LA at Digital Domain and Places. Yes, and thanks for me to all of those guys who helped us enormously at uh, trade shows and uh, in the back end. Uh, particularly John, who's done a lot of amazing um, uh, black arts in, involved in, in the back end of, of, of RC and getting show notes into iTunes f- uh, feeds and stuff. There's a, a, you know, and setting up all our website and giving us giving us a great look. And so I appreciate that, chaps. Thank you so much. And we for, also want to thank and for lending me Mike for a hundred episodes. We want to thank you guys for listening. Um, our, I mean, we don't give out our numbers but i just say this show alone um is part of uh like a trending up thing that we've had in FXO. and we're like 70 percent up on where we were uh and it's just astonishing the kind of response and in the uh in this period when we were covering the canon and red event which is completely you know the sort of rc side of fx guide we had phenomenal numbers um this week so we really appreciate everybody who's been posting retweeting our stuff um heaps of people have been thanking us and coming up and thanking us and stuff so that's been awesome but the person I'd like to thank most uh, even though it's hard because uh, there are so many people to thank I want to thank you Jason because this show wouldn't have existed had you not uh, bugged me and said somebody should do a show about professional cinematography and I was like well we could One try day, it and you were like will. and I was like <laughs> I was really like well the trouble I live is, in hope still sorry I'm interrupting no 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 but uh, seriously you came to me man and I was like well the trouble is if we do a show like this we're going to have to do it like commit to it because yeah, I don't want to do this for like stop. six I hate weeks. Those people and then, who pod fade, yeah, yeah, and you know, and then they come back and they get a relaunch and then they relaunch again, and you're like, Jesus Christ, you know, like, <laughs> and honestly, for somebody who has such a responsibility to his professional production job as you do, the fact that you managed to find time to squeeze this in, and not to squeeze it in, but research it and really commit to it. I mean, honestly, like, uh, you know, it's not like uh, this is uh, <laughs> this is paying your mortgage or anything. So, I, honestly, Jason, it's uh, it's an honour to be sitting thank in you. Uh, doing this. Same. Thing, so thank it's you. a hobby that kind of got out of control. And, uh, yeah, I did not uh, think we'd be spending quite so much time. Still, I did not think we'd still be talking about Scarlet and Epping still coming at the 100th episode. But uh, it's thank you, Red, for giving us something to talk about. <laughs> Um, thank you to Canon for all their support this week as well. Oh, I didn't thank them, um, but yeah, both Red and Canon were very generous in letting us get to the events, filming yep. at the events, having VIP access and uh, access to uh, so many people. Um, they're just uh, honestly like people bitch and moan about stuff, but these are companies that really have been very generous to us and uh, have really good people that I've become friends with. And I know yeah, look, those. absolutely. Just starting this show has been absolutely amazing. It's been a really great um 
step into and a great way to meet I've met and uh, firsthand some fantastic people had some fantastic conversations with uh, um, the gods of the industry from around you know around the world it's been terrific I learned a huge amount um, it's made me sort of keep on my toes and keep researching and, and, and think um, uh, think outside the square it's also sort of inspired me to get out off my butt and do some stuff other than just uh, you know what I did so yeah it's I been mean, it's been great there been are times I've sat with you Jace uh, outside coffee shops at 7 o'clock in the morning we've been shooting since dawn and we just have these discussions and it's basically an episode of Red Centre and I know a lot of you guys listen to it for that just us chatting about stuff and look we we aren't you know experts and camera tech won't ever make a bad story good but I can tell yeah. you bad camera tech <laughs> bad camera tech will ruin a good film and uh, and not allow a good story to shine and and I just love this stuff and I, I just love it to death so I thank you for letting us do this because we really do appreciate you guys supporting the show yes that's what has made it uh, worth doing um, every single person that's come up to us or bothered to make an email or stopped us in a mall or <laughs> and said dude we listen it's fantastic we love it so that without without those comments without without knowing that you guys are out there it's really just Mike and I um, sitting in a room talking to each other and that's it can only sort of be fun for so long Jace, so I, I, I contacted a supervisor of a major Hollywood film, I won't name it, huge, uh, to beg him for an interview. And the first response he came back was, yeah, I was a bit disappointed by some of the news this week. I was following Red Centre and the, and, the, and the tweets, and, and it just, that's all he wanted to talk about to me. And I was like, okay, just if we could just swing back to that whole thing about that major feature film you did with this multi-academy award-winning director. Huh? Um, and he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. So... We, we know cool. a lot of you are very, you know, very senior in the industry, so we don't pretend to be uh, more informed than you, but hopefully we can uh, help focus some of the discussion for you. And, and uh, you know, we just love talking about it, so thanks. And obviously I um, plan to stay, stop saying uh, obviously so much. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> okay, and uh, until next time when we'll be to our 100th and first episode, uh, I'm Mike Seymour. See you later. See you guys. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening. Send your questions or comments to rc at fxguide.com. Copyright 2011, FX Guide, LLC.